the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 300. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. They'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody, and happy Friday. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan Noah's here. Yep. Guys, as usual, great slate of guests coming in here. We're going to have Virginia Congressman Ben Klein joining us. Former Secretary of the Interior during the Trump administration, David Bernhardt, will be back with us as well. Utah Mayor Trent Staggs will be joining us as he's fighting for a House seat. And we'll be sitting down with conservative commentator Mike Crispy. It's been a while. Excited to have him back. Lots of breaking news. Everyone's heading out of the Capitol today, but we'll start off there with a little Capitol Hill roundup. Donald Trump did a rare midweek event in Coralville, Iowa, and we've got all the highlights. And then we'll take a, a look at Joe Biden and Donald Trump's legal battles and take a peek down at the U.S. southern border. But before we get to any of our headlines, let's take it up to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ro Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back for our 300 episode and to America's fastest-growing political podcast. We're going to be starting off things today up on Capitol Hill. He's a congressman representing Virginia 6. Always looking forward to sit down with Representative Klein. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you guys had a busy week. There's a lot of people who are, aren't happy with the fallout from the NDAA passing yesterday. You're definitely one of them. Stumped pretty hard for uh, some of your House counterparts to open up their eyes to some of the big things in there. The loss of the DEI and all the woke politics that the Senate just decided to say, no, we're going to put it in there anyway. Obviously, the foreign aid packages to places like Ukraine. And then there was the 702 renewal for fiscal year 2024. Just a little bit of commentary, Congressman, coming out of that vote yesterday. I'm sure maybe even eyebrow raising to see some of your congressional counterparts in the House who voted for it passing the buck until you guys come back after the holidays. Well, it is frustrating. It's especially frustrating that a, a month, several month long FISA extension was put on top of it, not changing any of our uh, broken uh, programs that enable the FBI and our other intelligence agencies to spy on American citizens without warrants, um, that it was unacceptable. That's why the Judiciary Committee worked so hard to put out a product that required warrants and actually scaled back uh, a lot of the authority that these FISA courts had um, while still protecting our homeland. And and now we're going to have unfettered activity by uh, the same courts, the same FBI uh, engaged in, in spying on American citizens without warrants through April. And then uh, they're going to be able to extend the, this activity arguably for a year from April. So really we're, we're not, we're losing a lot of leverage to reform these, these programs. Now, one of the things that I'm hearing in the news a lot, especially from uh, the conservative sec out there 
Congressman, is, is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, disdain right now with former Speaker Johnson just regarding this issue. I, I've seen him stand firm on a lot of things since he took the speakership gavel. That's, you know, kind of on the standalone bills for places like Ukraine. Also, you know, he we went on Fox and Friends last Monday and said, if this border is not addressed in a timely manner by the time the CR ends, the Republican House is going to be closed for business. We all know what that means. It's going to be a government shutdown. But when it comes to this, do you think now I kind of look at this from 35,000 feet and, and, and know that you guys work within a vote based system. And when you see how many House Republicans went along with the Democrats and voted for this, uh, the, there, there's a bunch of groups in there. You know, there's the squish Republicans. There's the, you know, McCarthyites who are now even more seething because yesterday was his last day up on Capitol Hill. You have the, the wing of the never Trumpers who still blame people like the original 20 for you know, what went on during the original speakership fight all the way up through the Gates 8. And and do you, do you think a little bit of that goes into that and, and Speaker Johnson kind of seeing, like, he knows he's not whipping 75, 80 votes in, like, a couple weeks since he's obtained the gavel, and uh, a bigger and better fight could be in your guys' face a little bit down the road on this. Well, there are some in our conference who think that our intelligence agencies can do no wrong and that uh, we must essentially defer to them whenever they say this is... Uh, important to protect national security instead of question and push back, which is uh, what we do in judiciary all the time, what we do as attorneys, what we should be doing as a Congress. But uh, Speaker Johnson was on judiciary with me, was the chairman of a subcommittee uh, alongside me. And and uh, uh, so he com- comes from the same place. Uh, he wants to be a conservative leader. He wants to get the most conservative product possible. But he hasn't had to deal with these other factions of conference before. And I think he's a little overwhelmed here in the beginning. Who wouldn't be, right? Sure. I think every anybody in their third, fourth term thrown into the speakership, not having any uh, themselves a little bit overwhelmed. But uh, the, the Freedom Caucus has, has faith that his conservative principles are still grounded or still leading him and that he is uh, not going to hesitate to walk away, for example, from a bad deal on Ukraine money if it's attached to just simply a bunch of pablum meant to placate uh, those who are concerned about the border while not actually achieving anything. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's literally been a little bit less than five weeks since he's obtained the speaker gavel. You guys are going to have some huddleage time over the course of the holidays, I'm sure, to talk you know, via Zoom and, and on the phone and stuff like that, in addition to the possibility of being called back up to Capitol Hill by the Senate. So I, I just think, like, you know, I, I think when Speaker Johnson agreed to that CR, made it the laddered one, you know, you guys are close, eight out of 12 appropriation bills done. I know the ones that aren't completed yet are some of the harder ones you guys got to kind of negotiate over. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have to give the Speaker a little time to, you know, get his feet wet, see what the pulse of everybody in the caucus is now, not just the Freedom Caucus, not just those who oppose Speaker McCarthy, and then see what can we do to bring all these people on our side together. The majority's getting quite a few votes slimmer heading into Christmas break right now, and uh, it's going to be really important as the American public is starting to look at you guys heading into an election year, uh, you know, how the leadership in this house is working. I, I did see this week that uh, one of our favorites, Rhett Burkett, who was on the show with us the other day, he said that you had got, uh, I believe he co-sponsored with you an act, and it was regarding accountability and agency rulemaking. Can you tell our listenership a little bit about that? It's the Agency Accountability Act. It, it essentially uh, deals with the unelected bureaucracy that has way too much power in this town. Now that we're all out of session back home in our districts, the bureaucrats are still working sure. to try and 
uh, you know, limit our freedoms and, and put more rules on top of small businesses and, and families, the stoves we buy, the microwaves we buy, the cars we buy, the electric cars. Um, and uh, so what we've essentially passed is a, bu- a bill that says if it's a rule that is going to cost uh, more than $100 million estimated uh, on, on the American people, which is most regulations, uh, it needs to be signed off on by someone who was nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate so that you have that accountability, that tie back to the people who elected their senators who actually uh, voted for these bureaucrats. And, and if we don't like the rules that they're putting forward, we can take it out on the senators. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I just start thinking off the top of my head, you know, Joe Biden changed the longstanding rule with a memo this year in regards to uh, the abortion policy at the Department of Defense. You've seen Senator Tuberville from Alabama hold the line on that pretty steadfastly throughout the course of, uh, you know, heading up into the holiday break. And it's really good that you our guys are looking for some accountability on that. You know, these unelected officials. They shouldn't be able to just simply rewrite policy that you guys have to legislate over and then eventually pass the president's sign, uh, you know, without having any input from the American people. That's via you guys who they send up to Congress to work on it. So I think it's really good first step in the right direction, especially with all the weird rules and regulations that the Biden administration continues to put out. You had mentioned things like microwaves and gas stoves, electric cars, et cetera. How big do you think it was in the House this week that you guys did all come together as a caucus and and voted for the next step into the Biden impeachment inquiry? Uh, Very important. It's especially important now that we're going to take the next step and and be fighting in the courts over access to Joe Biden's bank records, the records that Joe Biden has essentially said no to providing. You know, we've gotten a lot of records uh, from IRS, uh, when, when the IRS whistleblowers came forward, we, we went to the banks, got info on Joe Biden's brother, got info, some info on Hunter, uh, were able to show that uh, money flowed from uh, Chinese interests to Hunter, uh, to the brother, to Joe Biden, uh, that Joe Biden did receive checks. And, and so we want to know where what else is there, what other money is coming in. Uh, how much is being set aside for the big guy, who the big guy is. I mean, that was what Hunter was supposed to sit down and talk about in his deposition, but he stood out there on the Capitol grounds and actually dared us to find him in contempt, which we are going to do. And uh, actually, the courts are going to be challenged to hold him to the same standard that they hold people like Steve Bannon to, where the DOJ went after Steve Bannon for refusing to comply with the subpoena. But uh, we'll see how they react to Hunter Biden. I hear that uh, dad is not as excited about his attorney general anymore and that he uh, doesn't like him going after Hunter with these uh, indictments out in California. Now, when you saw that stunt that Hunter Biden pulled up on the Capitol steps today, we're going to be jumping right into that as soon as we cut with you, Congressman, and giving a little review for our listenership. But, I mean, obviously it was staged. There was a podium there. There was obviously the press set up. It was on the other side of the building, the Senate side, just to clarify for our listenership. And then he was flanked by uh, California Congressman Eric Swalwell. I mean, it just seemed like he was never coming in to talk to you guys, and this is kind of the stance that he's – I mean, I've heard so much – garbage sympathy for him in the meat like the house republicans are going to push hunter biden back to smoking crack if they 
keep, you know, pushing him and his family like this now. It's just kind of ridiculous. And I am glad that you guys are looking to go down the road of holding him in contempt because when you just look at the the way the double standard has been, you mentioned Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro, who comes on the show all the time as well, was a, you know, Trump economic advisor in, in, during his term. And uh, he sat in like a serial killer cell for seven hours, shackled to the bench uh, when he tried to get on a plane to go to a speaking event uh, about a year ago. So, did you did you guys kind of expect this was going to happen? And now moving forward, you, you definitely think the right thing to do now is to like reissue the subpoena to have him come in and talk. And if he's going to skirt it again, just head down the the contempt route. Yeah, I think that courts will react differently uh, now that now that the House has voted overwhelmingly. You know, it, it every Republican voted for it to proceed with the inquiry. Uh, they look for that kind of thing when when they're uh, going to order banks to hand over a sitting president's bank records. Um, they're going to look to see whether there was actually a vote to back it up. And and now we have that. And, and so now we expect compliance. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of shakes out. This is as, about as high profile as you get. I definitely think they're playing a little bit of the projection game as well, looking for sympathy in the you know liberal side of the media. But at the end of the day, you guys have been doing a great job on this topic, I think. Uh, doing it the right way, too, going through the full inquiry before you took it to a House floor vote, and then having you know everyone unified in the caucus to uh, take this up to the next level. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, People like Alejandro Mayorkas are, are definitely looking at this stuff right now, and I'm probably a little bit nervous about what House Republicans are going to be looking to do as far as he goes coming back out of the uh, holiday break. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you as always on the show. Thank you for getting things started with us today. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description. But anybody that wants to check out on social media, where can they find you? Uh, it's uh, klein.house.gov is the website and uh, rep Ben Klein on social media. Absolutely fantastic. We really appreciate it. Again, this is the congressman representing Virginia 6, Congressman Ben Klein. Thanks for jumping on the show with us and have a Merry Christmas. Hey, thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. Your intentions don't matter. The only thing that matters is your human agency and what you deliver. What you deliver. So don't give me the biblical worldview. I saw it in the NDA. Your biblical worldview is manifested there. So don't do another prayer group. We don't, I don't, what I need is Christians at the ramparts prepared to stand in the breach in what we call the gap. It's not easy. You're going to get criticized on MSNBC. Mitch McConnell's going to say bad things about you. The donor's going to say this and that. Just screw them. You either believe it or you don't believe it. NDA just passed. It just passed. This is Mike Johnson. And don't tell me you're a Christian. I don't want to hear you're a Christian. Don't wear your faith. Don't give me the Bible. I don't hear more Bible verse. When you've allowed the transgender, you've allowed all that garbage all that tra demonic trash throughout the defense budget that you wonder why you wonder why you can't get you wonder why you can't get uh, that you can't get uh, kids you know red-blooded American boys and girls to get into the military with what you've done in this neo-marxism and this cultural rot that now you have taxpayers paying for in almost a trillion dollars and you allowed this to happen when the commitment the commitment if you can't get the majority the majority doesn't go to the floor the hazard rule but you waive that to get this there because you're playing footsie with mitch mcconnell schumer and you're just as bad as the bun guys because you should know better so I don't need to hear any more biblical review, okay? I saw in action. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show. And as always, it was 
great catching up with Congressman Klein right before he took off from Capitol Hill to the Christmas break portion of the congressional calendar. Joining us on the show today, we've got a special guest, Steak for Breakfast VIP, to do a little bit of the news with us. He is the host of Unafraid on LFA TV, one of our favorites, Mr. Mike Crispy. Welcome back to the show. Ah, uh, gentlemen, it's been a while. It's an honor to be back, and I missed you all very much. I think feelings mutual. What do you think, Noah? Absolutely. So we uh, have seen a lot of anti-Italian sentiment in, in in the mainstream media lately. We've we've kind of got a, and we're not going to get to it with you, Mike. We'll take care of it a little bit later in the show. But the uh, ruthless, or as we like to call them, rizless podcast, who definitely is, is not the big fan of the Italian American community, but. Listen, we just opened up right there with back-to-back clips from Steve Bannon. He was both coping and seething on one of the four editions of War Room yesterday. That second clip we played, Peter Navarro was standing there like vapor-locked because he didn't know what to say. Neither did Steve. He stuttered so many times. And again, this is a clear-cut case, and I pointed out on social media yesterday. The NDAA is a failure. Tie it to Mike Johnson. He bears 100% of the responsibility in the Republican House. However, it's not a but. It's not a because. When you see how the vote shaped out, on Kevin McCarthy's last day in Congress, where he's got Paul Ryan in the audience getting all weepy-eyed, if you think Mike Johnson in less than five weeks was going to whip 75 Republicans who are part squish, part McCarthyite, and a lot of never-Trumpers who are still pissed at all the people that are voting against this thing, I mean, you need your head examined and you don't understand how a vote-based system works. Mike, you saw this shakedown yesterday. What would you think? Well, I mean, I think that people are trying to uh, pin this all on one singular problem. Uh, you know, it's easy and it's good for listens and clicks when you say, oh, this is the problem. It's this person. It's this thing. It's this. It's a lot harder when you have to unpack the reality of it, which is that the whole system is just so broken and rotten from the core. I mean, again, didn't, is Mike Johnson a strong speaker of the House at this point? I think he's proven the answer is no. Um, now, I still think Kevin McCarthy uh, was worse because Kevin McCarthy was overtly duplicitous, lying, scumbag, trash. And he had shown that time and time again. Now, Mike Johnson, I think Mike Johnson is just a case of a guy who has no juice. You know, we're using the 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 Gen Z terms, Riz. Ju- He's got no juice. You know, the guy, the guy is there. He doesn't have any power. He got put into the position. He never was a mover and a shaker on the Hill. Um, He has his views and his beliefs about things. One minute he's meeting with Trump and everyone's like, he's great. He's our guy. The next minute he's coming out of a meeting with Paul Ryan and everyone's like, F this guy. (laughs) I think he's just a guy who's blowing in the wind. I think he's a weak speaker um, who was never going to move the needle with what you astutely pointed out is like a hundred members of Congress who are not our people, right? They don't like what we stand for. They don't like the America first agenda. They don't like the foreign or the domestic policy uh, that Donald Trump espoused. I mean, Paul Ryan himself, you know, it's funny. He was in Capitol Hill yesterday and his words, I think in an interview or something, he said, oh, Donald Trump was an authoritarian dictator or something like that. And that's what he reminded him of. I'm like, how could you muddy down that phrase when we literally have an authoritarian in the White House right now who's weaponizing the levers of government against his political opponents. So the fact that Paul Ryan, okay, he doesn't like Donald Trump, but the fact that he says that and waters down the phrase of when it's really actually happening in real time, it's a sad thing. So it's an absolute mess on Capitol Hill, but you guys are totally right. Uh, Mike Johnson is just one out of 150 problems, and it's a lot harder to say 
the whole thing is broken than to just train your fire at one person and then it's easy to say they must go and then we get a win and everyone feels good. It's like this is like a 10-year problem. Right. I hate to say it, but it's like a 10-year problem that really won't get undone for the next 20 or 30 unless Trump gets back in. That's why it's so important that you know he wins next year because that's a big shift, but there's still so much work to go beyond that even. Sure. No, I mean, you make some great points there, Mike. And, you know, it, it goes back to Steve. Like, again, we call him a bomb thrower. We know he likes the clicks and the downloads. But the fact of the matter is, is that, like, when you look at the list, and I've got it right in front of me here, Jim Banks, Elise Stefanik, you know, you've got um, Max Miller, Kevin Kiley, people that are Trump endorsed, people that are supposedly America first, you know, that are voting for this thing. And it just so happens that some of those guests are regulars on Steve's show. So, of course, it's easy to bury Mike Johnson because he knows he's like a short-term solution to these people that are going to be in Congress forever. But at the end of the day, number one, it doesn't help. Number two, it doesn't really prove his point because all of the people that he's saying that Mike Johnson should have whipped that are regular guests on his show, he's failing to mention uh, any of them showed up for the vote, which passed overall in the House and Senate 310 to 118. So if you think Mike Johnson could part the, the Red Sea in that fashion and whip that many votes to flip that thing right there, you need your head examined. And again... This does uh, provide all the pre-baked funding for Israel since its inception, 1947, and then Ukraine, which a lot of people don't understand. We have been funding hundreds of billions of dollars to the country of Ukraine since 1991 when it left the Soviet Union. We give them a, a couple billion dollars a year anyway. That's all going in there. The Section 702 stuff remains. That's the warrantless searches that, you know, spying on Americans. If you go to McDonald's, connect to the Wi-Fi airport, your doctor's office, and, and the FBI wants to ping you, now they can surveil you. And that's going to be in there until, at the very latest, forever. And in the near term, we'll fight over it again in the spring. And then you see the good parts. You know, the NDAA covers various aspects of the national defense apparatus, since he didn't say one, including the Defense Department facilities. Oh, can you imagine if he would have stuttered that word? You would have hit the bell like 18 times. Mm, a nearly an over 5% raise for all military personnel uh, and new weapons and missile defense systems and other national security priorities. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's uh, ugly on the outside, even uglier on the inside, but... No matter what Mike Johnson did yesterday, I, I don't think that anybody was going to get that vote changed. Uh, you know, there was only 13 Republicans in the Senate who voted against it. So it, we, we all have to read the writing on the wall. Now, Mike, as you see these guys heading into Christmas break right now, they're going to be out of Congress, I believe, for three weeks up until January 9th. You've got them moving forward with the Hunter Biden impeachment inquiry, which we're going to talk about in just a sec. Uh, they also have eight out of 12 appropriation bills done. I kind of think we're, that's not really a hill they're willing to die on. I think we're probably going to get, you know, some kind of a CR or maybe even an omnibus, even though they say they're not going to, because Mike Johnson alluded to last week, if Joe Biden doesn't come up with some comprehensive border security, uh, you know, before this CR is over and can guarantee that Alejandro Mayorkas is going to abide by it, he's shutting the government down when this CR ends. What do you think? Well, I think that it's interesting how you point out these things of where the money's going and how things are being appropriated and how we're just continuing on. Uh, I mean, what do you really think is going to happen? I mean, do you think that they're actually going to shut down the government? you think they're actually going to do something and roll back the Ukraine money? you think they're actually uh, going to look to find a solution in the Middle East? I mean, no. I think right now uh, it's just absolute paralysis. I think that people are saying things to try to score donations and the GOP right now is like, you know, help us out, donate to us. Look, we're passing this, we're passing that. You know, the House GOP Twitter account, I think it was yesterday, they tweeted out like, we passed the strongest border, sec border security measure 
ever. And I'm like, okay, but what happened to it? Did it make did it make its way through the Senate? Did, it, did anything actually happen? Did it get enacted into law? No. Same thing with the Hunter Biden uh, impeachment inquiry. And unfortunately, guys, I think it's going to be the same thing with Mayorkas and the same thing with all of these things. I don't think at the end of the day, the Republicans are going to be able to get anything because too many of them don't care. Too many of them will quite literally benefit more uh, by the status quo uh, for the sources in which give them the money for their campaigns than they would making their electorate in their congressional districts happy. So um, I don't have high expectations. I think they're trying to play run the clock out on this session. The session's going to be over pretty soon, which is kind of crazy how, you know, two years blinked and now we're going to be done with this Congress. The Republicans have been the opposite of awe-inspiring. So you're probably going to have a Hakeem Jeffries. You know, Republicans in New York nominated just a horrific candidate for the Santos uh, special election. Uh, Yeah, a Democrat, like a joke. And... They it's like a, it was like the candidate is like a caricature of what like, you know, the, the modern day flaccid GOP would think would win. Right. Just like I'm a I'm a black Israeli former Democrat who saw the light Republican. It's like, yeah, great. Um, so they nominate her. That's going to be an L against Swazi. Hakeem Jeffries will be the speaker. And then all of this fictitious oversight and inquiries and all that. That'll just go by the wayside. And the Republicans will say, well. We fought there at the end. We fought. So keep donating to our campaigns so we could get them next time. Come on, guys. Who's buying this? No, it, it's the truth. And, you know, when you look at some of the good candidates who are running across the country right now, looking to pad those numbers in the House, you have to think that some of the really crappy ones are going to be exiting. Those who decide not to quit, like people like Kevin McCarthy have. And, and again, it's just it's a mess. I agree with you, Mike. It's a mess. Mike Johnson inherited a mess. I don't know if he's the guy that's going to get this ship going in the right direction, but at some point he's got to grab the wheel because it seems like if you can't pick a hill to die on and be willing to die on it, then the entirety of this session is going to be a failure. It's funny that you brought up George Santos, too. He'll be rounding out our 2023 calendar schedule as we've got oh, yeah. a santos exclusive here on the steak for breakfast podcast <laughs> coming january 29th so he'll be sitting down and vish burr will be joining us that day as well so big big day on the show that day not as big as it was for hunter biden yesterday he was up on capitol hill not doing what he was supposed to do and that was participating in a closed door deposition before the house oversight judiciary and ways and means committee he decided to instead travel in a limousine with california representative eric swalwell better known as fartwell to the back of the congressional building over to the Senate side where there was a pre-set up podium and he gave a little bit of a speaking event, I guess you can call it. I've got two clips from him, Noah. You might want to dust off the old garrison button because, and Mm. this also goes and answers your question from last week when Hunter Biden appeared on the Moby podcast and you asked if that was AI because, and then I I said, Noah, what do you expect a a former crackhead to sound like? Well, here's him in person and outside of the Senate yesterday. Mm. Let's check it out. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. Investing in broads. Not as an artist. During my battle with addiction, my parents were there for me. They literally saved my life. They helped me in ways that I will never be able to repay. Of course, they would never expect me to. 
And in the depths of my addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that is grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. Spent three quarters of a million dollars on hookers. There is no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. James Comer, Jim Jordan, Jason Smith, and their colleagues have distorted the facts by cherry-picking lines. And before we get into any commentary on that, we do have to hear him literally cry about Donald Trump. Let's check it out. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they've belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me all to embarrass and damage my father who has devoted his entire public life to service Mm. sorry read the cue card better next time crackhead listen it was the first time that anybody had seen hunter biden speak outside of a very telegraphed face-to-face interview with green screens on you know a cable news channel or outside of the moby podcast last week which he appeared on as i think the first time he's done anything like that in years but mike when you saw this complete retard you know, he talks about getting demonized in, in the media and stuff like that. This guy had literally Skittles licked and stuck to his penis while he danced around and weighed crack. And, and, you know, talked about his parents and his family being that this guy was banging his brother's wife before he even passed away from brain cancer. That's which, awkward. Which he did not get during the Iraq war. <laughs> you know, and, and it's one of those things where... This, this is not only, like, uh, the two-tier system of justice is on full display, but they're actually, like, posturing now and saying, like, fuck you, do something about it. Nothing's going to happen. What do you think, Mike? Well, it was a long list there from Hunter Biden. They they came at his character. Mm. Uh, I wonder why. And, you know, at least we saw some honesty from Hunter Biden. He said that they showed naked pictures of me. So I guess he's conceding now that the laptop footage was actually real and not just some Russian CGI, so I'm glad that that's been cleared up because all those intel agents clearly now uh, it's being proven time and time again that they were lying. Uh, his privacy, he said his privacy, you know, the guy dumped his laptop at the laptop repair shop. And, uh, you know, in terms of his privacy, if you look there, clearly Hunter Biden's not a very private person, uh, allowing hookers in the very illicit list of figures to access and really just be very involved in his, his day-to-day life and his business and top-secret information and all that. His wife, uh, I don't know if you guys I, you guys kind of said it. I don't know if it's the, the dead brother's widow or who he was referencing when it nope. came to his wife. Was it the was it the the baby mama of the, the stripper baby, which he knocked up? You know, I don't know if that's what it was. His family, well, you got Joe Biden, uh, who he complains about because he's you know, having to kick up too much money to him and he's running it like a mob family. So, you know, he loves his father in public, but in private, he thinks he's a greedy prick who's taking too much, you know, basically like Tony Soprano style. Uh, and then his friends, Devin Archer and Tony Bobolinsky, and his struggle with addiction as a recovering addict. Uh, you know, part of his recovery was his journey with painting. <laughs> and of course, he goes ahead and makes a million dollars a pop on each painting. So I wonder why Republicans are talking about a list of those things, but I'm glad Hunter Biden summed it up for us so perfectly 
um, so we could break it down. What a disgrace. What a joke. Hunter Biden is literally an oligarch. You know, I mean, yeah. that's literally the word. He's a sympathetic figure to MSNBC and CNN, but he is an oligarch. He's a dark soul, a vicious, vindictive, pathological liar. And he pushes around organized crime syndicates and foreign heads of state because he's part of a bigger organized crime syndicate. And that's the Biden crime family. So it was pretty wild. And uh, it was just as wild as inside the building with Swalwell and AOC and Raskin going, no evidence, no proof of a crime. Nobody's seen anything. It's like, it's like, what do we need? We need video footage of Joe Biden uh, cashing the checks or him handing money to the hookers in order for this to go through. It's like, it is just a, a total, total shit show. It would be a video like you ever see of the old lady like writing the, the, the check at the at the grocery line for like 39 cents. Like that's what the video would look like. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't see no evidence. It's like, all right, so, you know, there was no firsthand account of AOC watching Hunter Biden, you know, bang the crack horrors and argue about the scale and, and then talk about the 10%. And I guess Raskin wasn't in the room when... Hunter was saying, I'm sitting here next to my father, and if we don't get the money, we're going to be very upset. Not just saying that to some guy, but saying that to probably some vicious Chinese organized criminal. So, you know, the, the sympathy train is hilarious. And, you know, the best thing is it's like, well, he was repaying. It was just loan repayments from the family members. It's like self-proclaimed poorest member of the Senate, Joe Biden, you know, lunchbox Joe, Amtrak Joe. <laughs> all of a sudden, he became the Royal Bank of Joe. And he's able to give out six-figure loans that eclipsed anybody in the family who wants them. And then they're paid back perfectly in the nice amount right after the family member gets a payment from Romania or Ukraine or, you know, the Middle East or Russia or China. They perfectly pay it back right after that date. Not more than a week later, but like right there. You know, Joe was running a tight ship when he had his cognitive function. So what a disaster. I mean, all the proof is there. And, uh, and it's really shameful that... You know, the legacy media goes along with it, acting like this is anything more than what it is, an utter joke. Yeah, he had the whales on The View this morning saying that they were going to push Hunter Biden back into addiction with all this stress and pressure that he's under. Then, you know, you you talk about the Biden crime family. Who hires lawyers that are going to put you up in like a $20 million a month chateau in in Malibu? And and that's where Hunter Biden lives when he's not living in the White House or traveling with Joe Biden. Or or where else do you get lawyers who have been longstanding, uh, you know, legal for the Biden family who come in and offer to repay the $600,000 and 30% interest on all those years of tax? Taxes he either didn't pay or didn't file. It's definitely a double standard. Something that Byron Donalds, who we here on the show know, goes about 6'2", 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. When he jumped on with uh, Fox News yesterday to provide a little commentary. And and I will say, with respect to Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro, they were White House officials. So there is a a clear argument that they were protected by executive privilege under the Trump administration. Hunter Biden is not a part of any administration. There is no executive privilege that protects him from coming to Congress and and sitting for a deposition because he's been subpoenaed to do so. But Larry, at the end of the day, the reason why Hunter is running, the reason why the White House is 
obfuscating. The reason why House Democrats are pounding the table because they don't have the facts is because the Biden family has been complicit in a foreign corruption scheme. Joe Biden knew about it. Joe Biden took money from it. And I believe that Joe Biden is a co-conspirator in violations of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, an act, by the way, that that uh, that uh, that has thrown other officials in jail. Yeah. Paul Manafort, the one that yeah. is most famous that comes to mind yeah. for less violations than what Hunter Biden is accused of. And I just have to say, after seeing some of those pictures from the New York Young Republican Club gala last week, Byron Donalds, he made like J.R. Majewski and, and our good friend Alan Jacoby here on the show look like dwarfs. Mm. Both, he, both in height and girth. And, he you know, did make Alan look like way too small. You know, if I'm Alan, you know, I'm a little bit more careful with how I ask for that picture to be framed. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like he looked huge compared to him. I'm like, what's going on there? Well, we know Alan goes about five three on a good day, but yeah, I'd either I'd either be standing on his chair or I just wouldn't take the picture. You know, or maybe, maybe we could both sit at the table and take the picture. It's one of those things. But or do yeah. the thing like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Devito and twins, where he's like <laughs> holding him up, like with one arm, on shoulder. <laughs> No, it's the truth, and, you know, you have to be able to uh, talk about this double standard. It seems like Mike also writes all the talking points for Byron Donald because he hit on a lot of the things that Mike just brought up before we listen to the clip. And, you know, getting into these Democrats and, and what they're doing with it right now is is exactly the same thing that they always do. They're going to project, reject, and deflect, and, and that's what was going on on the House floor. Mike already alluded to AOC and her crying over it, even though, you know, she's probably seen all the evidence and everyone in her district hates her guts and wants her to do something about it anyway. But it was, I think, the crown jewel of hypocrisy when pencil neck orange on a toothpick adam shift got to speak on the house floor yesterday and give commentary how this is a sham witch hunt and hoax investigation into joe biden think i'm bullshitting let's hear it to do extort the president of ukraine by withholding military aid unless Zelensky agreed to announce a sham investigation of joe <laughs> biden the evidence of trump's impeachable offenses was overwhelming and trump was impeached in 2020, after losing the election, Trump incited a violent insurrection against our own government. The evidence of that high crime was witnessed by everyone in this chamber. He was impeached again. And in 2023, Donald Trump is once again seeking illicit help in his campaign, this time by badgering Republicans to impeach Joe Biden. Even with no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden, Republicans are all too willing to do it. Wait, what? There is a through line to all of this. Donald Trump will violate the law and constitution to gain power and to keep it. And Republicans will enable him every step of the way. No matter how destructive the consequences to our institutions or to the country. I yield back. Boy. <laughs> Uh, next time, if I ever have to go to court, I'm just be like, there is no evidence. It's like, well, sir, there's a video of you driving 25 miles over the speed limit. Doesn't matter. There's no evidence. <laughs> You're out of order. No. You're, you can't handle the truth. It's, it's yeah. And you know, they all went in the back room and they're like, all right, okay. we know you're censored. And, and we know that you're probably going to lose the Senate race out in California, but here's the deal. Do you think you... Yeah, just knock it off. Yeah, can, you, can, you, can you tap it one more time and, and get into the vein of, not for Hunter Biden's purposes, but to, to reinvigorate the two sham impeachments that Donald Trump went through? Absolutely ridiculous. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following it and that it's downloading to your electronic device. 
And then across social media, Twitter, get her Truth Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. Rolling along here, we're going to switch topics a little bit. Noah's favorite Ukrainian oligarch was up on Capitol Hill the other day. A sweatsuit? Cookie Monster himself. Mm. Vladimir Zelensky demanding his money, which he is going to get a portion of in the NDAA. I heard Speaker Johnson give some commentary after a closed-door meeting with his counterpart in the Senate, House Minority Leader in title only, Hakeem Jeffries, and some top White House staffers from the Department of Defense and the White House. Let's hear what the speaker had to say. Thank you all for being here. Uh, just had a good meeting with President Zelensky. I reiterated to him that we stand with him and against Putin's brutal invasion. Uh, the American people stand for freedom, and they're on the right side of this fight. I have asked the White House since the day that I was handed the gavel as speaker for clarity. We need a clear articulation of the strategy to allow Ukraine to win. And thus far, their responses have been insufficient. They have not provided us the clarity and the detail that we have requested over and over since literally 24 hours after I was handed the gavel as Speaker of the House. And so what the Biden administration seems to be asking for is billions of additional dollars with no appropriate oversight, no clear strategy to win, and, and none of the answers that I think the American people are owed. I have also made very clear from day one that our first condition on any national security supplemental spending package is about our own national security first. The border is an absolute catastrophe, and this is because of the policies of this White House and this administration. We had 12,000 illegal crossings on one day last week alone, on Wednesday. We have uh, almost now 280 known terrorists that have been apprehended at the border. None of this counts the gotaways. If you add the numbers up, it's almost 7 million people who have been encountered at the border just since President Biden took office and at least 2 million gotaways. This is twice the population of my state of Louisiana. Fentanyl is the leading cause of death for Americans age 18 to 49 in this country. Fentanyl poisoning because it's allowed over the border. We have human trafficking and all the other terrible things. In the last three months, October, November, December alone, We've had more illegal crossings at the border than in any entire year during the Obama administration. The Amer and we'll leave it at that. You know, he would go on to point out a couple more facts. Th those numbers that he was talking about, too, I believe they're a little bit more inflated. I think we're definitely over 10 million apprehensions, and, and we are nearing 3 million gotaways since the start of the Biden administration. I heard Senator John Kennedy. We'll hear from him a little bit later in the show when we touch on the border before we're done. But... I believe now the amount of people that have illegally crossed the border since the start of the Biden administration is now the 11th largest state in the United States. Let that soak in for a second. All the new neighbors that you guys are getting, kids in your children's school, people that are pushing you out of your jobs, driving down the value of the dollar, sucking up all the health care. Good times. What do you think, Noah? There's going to be some long lines for health care. I mean, we are, we've already heard about people that are having to drive, like when they're in those uh, southern border cities that you know, like somebody that's going to have a pregnancy and, and give birth, they've had to drive like three counties up to get away from the border just because everything's so just exacerbated down there. Mm. I just saw the Raw Egg Nationalist posted in real time. Wow, diversity is our strength, right, guys? Think of all the delicious foods that all these new illegals are going to kick up for everybody once they get into the restaurant business. Man, it's so sad. It's bad. Even out here in Southern California, one, one of the towns that, you know, are close to where Noah and I live, they've had 55,000 migrants in the last eight weeks just dumped into the city center and, and out into all over the country. And it just seems like now it's, uh, you know, like a, 
manufacturing chain, much like Alejandro Mayorkas wanted. You know, he compared the immigration system to uh, should be running like a Ford motor plant a couple months ago, and it seems like that's what they're doing now. I saw I saw an article that was saying that there was actually just roving bands of thieves that were burglarizing people's homes in order to pay back the cartel smugglers. It's absolutely fantastic. Mike, you're on the other side of the country, but you know, you're getting hit pretty hard in places like New York and New Jersey. What does the migrant situation look like up there? And, and, and how do you see this border situation coming to some kind of a comprehensive solution? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, Mike Johnson, and this is something that um, I've, I've keyed in on is like, it's almost like it's been like a poll tested phrase that, to soften people's anger about the Ukraine scam. And that's literally what it is, a scam. Sure. To soften people's opinion about it. You say, well, we're going to take care of the border first, right? It's kind of like, he's like, you know, like blunting the impact of how he feels when he says he'll still support Ukraine. It's like, how about this? Lock down the border, shut it down. Kind of like how we empower Israel to do. And then at the same time, absolutely no money for Ukraine. How about that? Um, but he has to kind of like muddy. So I think it's like a poll tested phrase, but you know, right now, obviously I think what they're trying to do is they're just trying to surge in as many as people as possible, um, to create as much chaos as possible, because I think they got spooked when Donald Trump was in office and he was clamping down on it so hard. I think they said, wait a minute, we won't have our cheap labor. We won't have our future voting block. We better get as many people in as possible uh, before something happens and this guy gets back in or we have a, a Republican president, you know, down the line who will, you know, roll back this stuff, but especially with Trump getting back in in 24. So I think they're just trying to flood the zone as much as possible. I mean, the craziest thing about being in New York and seeing it, and again, I've been in and around New York City my entire life. Um, is you go to places in New York City and you see lines of migrants down the street. And it's like, why are they lined up here down the street? What are they doing? Like in like in uh, lower Manhattan and they're at the they're at like the courthouse, like the administration building, and they're applying for asylum. And they're all waiting there, neat and orderly, waiting to, I guess, file their paperwork or do something. See, I don't even know about it. So how would these migrants with IQs of 30 from third world shithole countries know exactly where to show up in Manhattan, read the street signs, have their papers in the line, know who to speak to, know where to go. It's because somebody is directing them very, very deliberately and very closely. Not like handing them a piece of paper and saying, oh, here you go, this is where you go to get your asylum. No, it's got to be like way worse than that if sure. you really think about it because these people don't even have the capability of finding their way to where they need to go in New York City on a map, let alone getting there, knowing what papers to have, and all being nicely filled out, waiting to go in line at the administration building to file for asylum as they seek to bastardize our process. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're bastardizing the process. So it is absolutely terrible. It's heinous. And um, anybody who pushes back on it in the state of New York, well, the far left contingency um, will come after them like Democrats, like, you know, they're coming after Eric Adams, yeah. you know, and the mayor of Chicago goes, all right, we're going to keep bringing in the illegals and the Chicago residents get mad, but they go, hey, you'll still vote for us as long as we could kind of give you enough of like, you know, the, the handout type stuff. So it's a totally broken system. I don't know where the bubble bursts, but I think if we're ever going to get there, it'll be now. But if, you know, Inner city Chicago and New York City is still going to vote for the Democrat candidate by a margin of 85, 90%. Yep. Well, and it's just broken beyond repair. It's, it's, it's really sad, guys. And the last thing I'll say about it is that perfectly encapsulating all this in the Bronx in New York, uh, I think it was two days ago, 
a building, like a, a Section 8, you know, government-funded apartment building where Saw people this. live, just collapsed. Yep. It just collapsed. The whole building collapsed. It's not Gaza City. It's <laughs> New York City. And the building collapses. And then two miles uh, south of it, you have, you know, the Roosevelt Hotel, literally two miles south, a once beautiful institution where they hosted, you know, political conventions and stuff like that. The migrants are getting funneled in there into the beautiful five-star, you know, multi-million dollar hotel. Well, our own citizens are in buildings that they can't even reliably say will be standing the next day. So what is going on? Will they ever learn? If not now, when, guys? No, it's the truth. And then when you look at uh, some of the big wins Zelensky's taking out of this meeting with House Republicans and members of the Senate, the Biden White House and, and the Department of Homeland Security that gets passed in that NDAA, as we're kind of, you know, rounding up everything that we talked about today, they extended the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. That's what I always reference when people talk about no more money for Ukraine. Fact check. We've been giving money to Ukraine since 1991, and that's what yeah. it's called. That has been reauthorized uh, for use as part of the annual budget up through the year 2027. And the full request of $300 million for the fiscal year of 2024, which is next year. So he essentially got all the money that he already was getting. $200 million from Joe Biden from the Department of Defense the day before. And then yesterday walked out with $300 million for next year, in addition to all the arms and military equipment and ammunitions, et cetera, that they're getting over there in Ukraine. All right, last audio clip of the segment, last audio clip with Mike Crispy here. Cookie Monster himself jumped on Fox News shortly after his meeting up on Capitol Hill and lunch with the president to sit down with 2020 election results denier, early state caller, Brett Baer on Fox News. Huh. Let's check it out. What do you say? to critics who are saying that. <laughs> I say such person from government or mayors think about the war, think about how to defend our people. Don't travel through the world each day. Travel to the front line. Ask people, ask soldiers what they need. Do this. Not build roads for today. Don't do it. Spend all your money to the weapon, to the drones, to the society, to the pensions, and etc. And don't cry, because you are leaders, and that's it. That's why, that's why we are, and that's why we stay. Because mostly people, people are not crying. People stay and fight against Putin, and we don't have any enemies in our country. We can't have and can't have time for this, and we don't have it. We have only one enemy. This is Putin, and that's it. But you'll stand from democracy going yes, forward. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And of course, because we are really defending democracy and we are really defending freedom. Mr. President, we appreciate your time and we'll continue Thank you. to follow the world. Shut up, Brett Bear. Send the money. You know, for the pensions. <laughs> it's odd that he would mention the pensions. And like the we're, streets. We're, Who's going to repave the streets? He literally said that. No, he said don't build roads. I think he was like, not, no, don't about build here. roads here. Yeah. yeah. Build roads in Ukraine. Yeah. Build the roads. That's what J.D. Vance was talking about last week. You know, um, Vladimir Putin had some of his high-level meetings with, you know, everyone across his government this week. It's, it's like a big display in Russia. It's all televised. You know, everybody who's been talking shit about his health, he's gone to China, he's gone to Saudi Arabia, he's hanging out with Kim Jong-un over in Moscow. And, and here's the thing. You know, Mike, when, when you watch this, right, and Vladimir Putin in his big, you know, annual presser this week is they're getting ready to wrap the fiscal year up, up in Russia as well. Talked about, you know, this is going to be an ongoing operation until we 
are done with it. He goes, but I'm, you know, thinking that Odessa is still part of historical Russia. And once we get there, we're probably going to be willing to negotiate. And then you have Zelensky going out as people are pressuring him from all angles. The EU's running out of money. NATO's running out of money to fund him. You've got finally people in the Republican House who are saying, we're not going to keep doing this $600 billion like three times a year, every year for the eternity of our country now. And it gets to the point to where Zelensky, the other day, when he got back to Ukraine, he was saying, like, why should we have to talk about ceding land as part of a, you know, peace negotiation? Like, he's finally starting to realize what everybody has said from the beginning, that he's going to lose the entirety of his military, which they have. They've lost over close to a half a million soldiers since the start of this conflict two years ago. And now he's looking at the part of, you know, when Russia moves a little bit more west and, and picks up Odessa, they're going to be done with it and they're going to be done with him. So, you know, a lot of people are thinking that he's not going to be staying in that country much too longer. God knows they're not having elections there this year anyway. But what do you think about this idiot? Oh, my goodness. Zelensky. I, first of all, is it just me? Like, it, was there zero cohesive sentence structure in what Zelensky was saying to Brett Baer? It was like... Like it was like a bunch of words. Like he's trying to just remember his English buzzwords. And they asked him a very simple question about, you know, people, how do you respond to people uh, who are saying that, you know, you're cracking down on any type of opposition. You're not running elections anymore. And he's like the roads, the pensions, the money, uh, uh, toothbrush, uh, uh, you know, the money, Putin, Putin, we defeat Putin. It's like, it's like, it it didn't make any sense. And then Brett Baird just sits there and takes it. Like it's a real conversation. And not like a totally manufactured puppet acting script nonsense. Um, you know, obviously the the Ukrainian situation. Uh, I was one of the first people to call it out. I was running for Congress, and I'll never forget when I was doing that. And I, from day one, I was questioning how ridiculous it was on its face. And Republicans would say, "You can't say that. You can't say that." You know, Republicans stand with Ukraine. And guess what? We're all vindicated. Uh, people like us, people like Tucker Carlson, who were saying it from day one that this thing was not going to end well that there was something totally hazy and cloudy and not real about it. Um, that the fact that Boris Johnson and Joe Biden totally talked Zelensky and the Ukrainian government, a puppet government that is, yep. that was installed by Joe Biden people in 2014 that told them, do not sign this treaty, do not make peace, You know, keep fighting with Russia, we'll back you up or else. And uh, Zelensky is in his endgame right now. And uh, eventually, you know, they'll Gaddafi him, you know, once he's done being useful. So, you know, Zelensky's on the last leg here. Um, I think Putin, you know, I mean, objectively speaking, has the war pretty much wrapped up. I mean, when you got 70 year olds from Ukraine getting carted out to the front lines. Oh, we're fighting. We're fighting. Boom, boom, boom. Line them up. They all get killed in two seconds. It's like, is it a war anymore or is it just a slaughter that America's facilitating? So. It's over. It's curtains. And, uh, you know, if Donald Trump was the president, none of this would have happened. But, you know, Joe Biden, it happened exactly how they wanted it to because they made a lot of money doing it. And uh, it's such a shame that, you know, public support is even over 20 percent for something is overtly wrong and fraudulent and senseless is what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, they prop this guy up like he's a hero everywhere he goes, but they don't talk about the millions of people that have died at, at the behest of his bad management. As a pre- I mean, he's not even qualified to be president. The guy's a former actor who used to bounce his balls off of piano keys in front of Vladimir Putin as part of entertainment for state dinners that they used to have with other European allies. So- well, and then Bear mentions you're going to support democracy. And he's like, well, yes, we are democracy. It's like, well, silencing opposition media, that doesn't sound... What about all the jailed Catholic priests? The cancellation of this year's elections. Can't do that. 
Yeah. Yeah, Brett Bear was told to say that. I mean, Brett Bear, Fox News and Newsmax are very much in the tank for Ukraine. Just, just watch it during the day. You get totally lies from both of those outlets. Kill Mead has like a spasm oh, attack if you say anything about Ukraine. He got so and, mad. Yeah, and then Newsmax. Never forget Newsmax. I mean, again, I, you know, Newsmax. I'll never forget when Eric Bowling was sent on a hit piece to attack Tucker Carlson over his Ukraine position, and he called him an alleged American. I'll never forgive Eric Bowling for saying that. Wow. Um, and, I mean, that goes to show you that, you know, Ruddy, he put out, like, a column, the head of Newsmax, the other day about standing with Ukraine, even when it's unpopular. So, I mean, Newsmax, Fox, when you got those outlets in the tank for Ukraine, most of the flyby, you know, consumers and news go, yeah, I guess maybe it's an okay thing. But it's it's really bad. It's like one of the worst uniparty things we've dealt with in this in this decade, I think, guys. No, and we can never forget Colonel McGregor, who's one of Tucker Carlson's favorite guests. That guy's been right about everything mm-hmm. for like the last year and a half. He's been banished from Fox News. And I'm glad since Tucker Carlson started doing a show on X, he's brought the colonel on at least three times. He's a monthly guest on this show as well. Mike, this has been awesome sitting down with you today, catching up, uh, you know, heading into the holiday season. you got to take into account who your real friends are. You've been a day one for us here on Steak <laughs> for Breakfast. You guys are absolutely killing it over there on LFA TV. You guys are dominating the news cycle. You guys are dominating Rumble as well. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about it, where they could find you and check you out on social media as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like I, like you guys said, I appreciate that. You know, we're on Rumble every single day. Um, I stream my show at 10 o'clock in the morning at rumble.com slash LFA TV. The show's called Mike Crispy Unafraid, rumble.com slash LFA TV. And we got other great people on the network that are running all day coverage. Um, friend of the show, Alan Jacoby is on at three o'clock. We got him on. He's doing a great job. And uh, on social media, Instagram, Mike Crispy NJ. Never forget those Jersey roots. And um, we'll be doing live coverage at the Trump rally tomorrow. Uh, I'll be in studio for that. And we'll have team coverage on the ground in uh, in New Hampshire. So we're just getting started, as I like to say. And it's been a great run with you guys since the beginning. And we got the home stretch now, 2024, last year. Uh, and the country will either be saved or we'll all be in the gulag together. So, you know, one way or another, we're, we'll be rejoined. I call top bunk. There you go. <laughs> Mike, what, what are you doing for Christmas as far as dinner goes? I mean, I already told my wife I'm making a big, big pot of gravy, hand-rolled meatballs, stuffed man and gots, and, and obviously we'll do an anapost. We'll do the seven fishes the night before on Christmas Eve. But what do they do over in the crispy house? I love, first of all, I, I love that you invoke the Italian stuff. So, you know, don't forget about the Italian American Civil Rights League. You know, Donald Trump's favorite Italian American organization. Correct. Uh, it's a group that I started with my good friend Roger Stone and some other familiar friends, Sal Greco, Paul Ingrassia, you know, my friend Giancarlo Gioni, uh, all great paisans on the board of that group. Uh, we endorsed Donald Trump. He then posted it several times on his Truth Social, so we're proud to support him. And we had an event at Trump Tower uh, right before the New York Young Republican Gala, had like 60 people there. So Italian-American civil rights are on the rise. And in the Crispy household, where we are very proudly Italian, you know, we do the the Italian staples. You know, it's always the baked ziti, um, but, you know, we really don't do the seven fishes. It's baked ziti, it's steak, it's lobster. Uh, and a variety of other pasta dishes. So, you know, we're a, li- we're a little bit more modern in that sense, but uh, we call it sauce, too. I don't know. We could fight over that. Oof. But uh, we call it sauce. Okay. But uh, it's it's going to be good. I love my mother's home cooking. You know, nothing like an Italian mother doing home cooking. It's like one of the greatest things. So that's going to be in Florida. And I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas. 
and uh, we'll we'll have a big 2024. Can't wait. No, we certainly will, and we can't wait to have you back on the show. This is the host of Unafraid on LFA TV, Mr. Mike Crispy. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a very Merry Christmas. All right. You guys are the best. Thanks, guys. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with former Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He was the 53rd Secretary of the U.S. Department of the Interior. He's also the author of the best-selling book, You Report to Me, Accountability for the Failing Administrative State. Really excited to be welcoming back Mr. David Bernhardt. Mr. Secretary, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. How's everything going on your end? Uh, Busy times in the news. We're going to talk about a bunch of uh, current event topics with you today, but uh, how's everything going on your end? Well, you know, things are going very, very well. I mean, every day, um, President Biden looks more and more and more unpopular. Um, The American people are getting a chance to see uh, what it's like to have this president in action. And it's it's moving things um, to a pathway that I believe will be fantastic um, when we turn direction in January of 2025. Oh, it's uh, you're pointing out the facts there, and that's the first thing I want to touch with you on. Now, House Republicans have done a great job of not being able to get out of their own way, for the most part, for the entirety of this session. But this week, they did come together and in unison voted to move along the Biden impeachment inquiry. I'm sure as someone who worked in the government for as long as you did, Mr. Secretary, and have seen the developments in the news, there is definitely a there there. Whether or not they're going to be able to ever get it to impeachable, offenses that get voted on and and passed in the house that's yet to be seen but you know as you see this thing shaking down this is not small potatoes this is not like the fake impeachments that they brought up against president trump there is a a paper trail that goes back to multi different countries and and you know when you just look at it from the scope of outside looking in it it, it seems like house republicans are definitely onto something with this impeachment well let's uh you know if we take a step back um I think everybody, irrespective of political persuasion, should be excited about what the House did in a positive way, because what they really did is said, here's the rules of engagement for our inquiry for these three committees. And so, you know, it begins a process for them to um, and, and lays out and describes with specificity the process for the majority and the minority um, to go through to do their work uh, to look into this. And, um, you know, the, if you're irrespective of what side you're on, um, and, you know, when I was in government, I had a, a, a lot of folks, that, you know, would say, well, we're going to investigate you on this or that. And I'd say, well, good luck with that. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're completely innocent, an investigation is not a very troubling thing. Yeah, the investigation goes forward. You get to um, show your facts and um, and, you know, life works out because the facts go, you know, the investigation goes where the facts take them. And that's what the House Republicans did is they said, let's go. And so I, I am a little surprised at how 
um, all of these people that claim that there is no there there um, are suddenly like how awful to have the process go forward because at the end of the day the process that goes forward will be um, one that gets to the facts now I personally when I look at this stuff I think there's smoke and I think there very well may be fire but you know I don't know but I do know that this process is going to take us to the place where these facts are going to be highlighted and what we do know is we know more today we know more today than we knew in 2020 um, when the election occurred, when we had a president um, running and the candidate on the other side said that I was never involved with my um, son's um, businesses or I was never involved in the, um, you know, my, my family never received money from foreign countries. Those are false facts. We know that. Um, but what we don't know is what else is there. And this will get there. And maybe maybe the folks that are complaining about the investigation will say, see here exonerated we don't know but what we do know is it started and everybody should be happy about that i definitely think it's it lends credit to the process like you said and uh how speaker johnson is you know kind of carried this since he took it over from kevin mccarthy about five weeks ago and you know heading into the break right now now it's the time to have them all put their heads together and see where they're going to go with this and it's going to be the presentation at the end and like you had mentioned the smoke which is coming in the form of the physical receipts that we've seen up to this point what they're sharing with the american public is not the totality of what they have as far as evidence goes but it's definitely you know opening up the door to show what potentially they they could present in the form of the actual impeachment hearing once that you know goes through the next phase so, Mr. Secretary, I want to kind of segue a little bit. You know, as the Secretary of the Interior, you, you had your role and your job within the Trump administration. But part of that came in collaborating with the other secretaries and, and all the other heads of agencies to kind of work together to, during the Trump administration, make America great again. We have seen the complete opposite since Joe Biden took office. I think the number one issue outside of the economy affecting most Americans now in almost every major city and heading into the rural areas is what's happened down on the U.S. southern border. You want to talk about loss of sovereignty and the inability we have as a nation to continue to sustain. We just keep having apprehension records broken day after day after day for the last several weeks. Sectors that were usually not common to have people traffic through them and into them right now are getting numbers like we've seen never before. You know, you have anywhere between seven and eight out of every 10 border agents now just assigned to sitting behind a desk, processing paperwork and passing out sandwiches. When you look at how this administration has failed on every level at the border and what it means for the rest of America, especially in some of our historically most major cities, how much longer can the American public handle this before this is something that's just going to be out of control and there's not going to be any way to stop it? Well, first off, um, I, I think on the on the very end of the question, the truth of the matter is the American people are incredibly resilient. And when there's a will, this will be so stopped. Um, but and how long can this go on? I don't think it can go on much longer because I think we can already feel um, the shaking on the de of the Democratic Party as they realize what a complete disaster this has been. And and I, I fundamentally think that they're you know, some of them are trying to figure out uh, very, very hard. And that's why the Senate is going to be in next week is like they're looking for a pathway because they've decided it's a disaster for them, just like it's a disaster for the rest of the American people. They went so far um, radically 
um, in the wrong direction on this compared to where the American people are. They're trying to claw their way back a little bit, not to where, um, you know, things could be. But even they, I think, are beginning to realize this is a big, big, big problem for America. And when you look at um, you look at the concerns of Americans, um, you know, boom, but the economy boom, crime, and boom, the border. And so what they've single-handedly done is made that issue one of the top few issues that the American people are caring about. And it's not because they're doing a great job on it. No, it's the truth. And, you know, when, when you see Secretary Mayorkas and the work or lack thereof that he's done, I mean, he's circumvented federal judge rulings. He's completely turned upside down the system that was already broken, but at least in place. I mean, and you just want to talk about a comparison. You had those like that came before President Trump when Jay Johnson was the head of DHS. You know, they did catch and release. They did do kids in cages. But at the end of the day, Jay Johnson said if there was anything close to a thousand apprehensions in one day, this was a horrible day for DHS and heads were rolling. And he's talking about heads of agencies and, and people right. that were in managerial positions. Then you had Chad Wolf who kind of, you know, bought into the Trump era border policies and now is a huge advocate for them as he travels the country and kind of talks about what uh, potentially could be, you know, border security in 2025. And then you have Alejandro Mayorkas who just at the end of the day, do you think he is the worst cabinet secretary? I mean, Joe Biden has some real all-stars. Well, it's sort him. of a race to the bottom. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> when you get into that game, but the, the truth of the matter is look, um, what, and, and I, and I highlighted this in my book, you report to me accountability for the failed sure. administrative state. The truth of the matter is in these cabinet agencies, the guys and gals at the top, are supposed to be leaders um, and making hard decisions and pushing things through. And they they don't want to be accountable. And so you just see this mumbling and bumbling. Um, and and you know, they don't want, they don't want to own the problem and they don't want to be responsible for solutions. And unfortunately, that's what cabinet secretaries are paid for. They're paid to deal with the hard problems, make the decisions, and drive agencies forward to solve problems for the American people, not for a particular subset or a particular uh, agenda for the American people. And what they're doing here on the border is the opposite of that. They're not solving problems for the American people at all. They're causing problems. No, they're making more work for President Trump potentially in 2025 and people like Tom Homan who says, you could challenge him, but he still wants to run the biggest deportation operation in the history of the planet. So we'll see how that goes. We're always excited to have him on the show, much like we are with you today, Mr. Secretary. And last thing I want to touch with you on goes back to President Trump. He's had some massive success on the campaign trail, and, and we haven't even hit the first primary set for January 15th in the Iowa caucus. You know, it used to be, let's just say, last year, around November, people were saying he was finished, people were going to catch him in the polls. And then six months ago, oh, yeah, there's a couple polls that say, like, he's looking. Now it's like every poll doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on every news outlet is saying not only is he dominating the primary but he's starting to extend a little bit of a lead on joe biden in the general election forecast now you see him this weekend he's going to be out in iowa he's going to be heading to new hampshire next week he's going to be traveling on the road with one of your uh secretary counterparts dr ben carson as well when you see the success that that president trump has had throughout the years and now back into this primary cycle that he's had up to this point it just looks like, you know, as long as he keeps his himself focused, which is, you know, one of the number one things he does and, uh, you know, stays on the path that he's been on, at least up to this point and through the first five primaries where he could essentially wrap up the delegates that he needs to become the nominee. Things are looking good for everything in the Trump camp. Don't you agree? 
Well, you know, I'm not part of the campaign, but what I can say is he is far and away the most talented politician in my lifetime, period. Um, but on top of that, you have to remember, he has a track record of success as president, and that track record exists. And the big problem for all anybody in the primary, and frankly, um, th this current president, is people know that track record. They don't need to, they don't need to think about were things really better in 2018 and 2019 compared to today they know it they feel it you see it and that's what's driving these polls and that to me is a is a heck of a thing for a political opponent to overcome because when i look at my situation and say yeah things were really good and now they're a little harder that's not a good place for uh anybody to be and that's what they're up against so i am very bullish on president trump's opportunity in the primary we're going to see you know the iowa caucus is just literally around the corner he comes out of that and and heads to new hampshire and i and i think he, it's going to be a barn burner i think people are going to demonstrate that they want um they want the leadership that he had they want the policies that he had they want the economic policies they want the deregulation they want the energy they want the border uh, security and this is what they want and he has is somebody who has committed uh, to keeping his promises and has done it in the past and i think those are very um, big ideas that resonate with the american people and i'm i'm optimistic about his chances but we'll see yeah, I mean, anything could happen. We obviously know there were some big victories he picked up this week in, in, in some of the cases that are being waged against him as part of lawfare. But, you know, you never can tell with this uh, news cycle. It seems where, you know, 10, 20 years ago, news stories would come out every few weeks and they would be the topic that dominates the cycle. Now it's if you don't pay attention to the news every few hours, you're going to be completely lost because it changes nearly in the blink of an eye. Mr. Secretary, this has been awesome seeing down with you today. We're obviously going to be live linking all of your stuff in the show description today, including where you could buy the great book you report to me, Accountability for the Failing Administrative State. But for anybody that wants to check you out on social media, give you a follow, where can they find you? Just go to youreporttome.com. Absolutely fantastic. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And again, thanks for coming and sharing with us today. This is the 53rd Secretary of the U.S. Department of Interior, one of our great friends, Mr. David Bernhardt. Thanks for coming on the show. Have a Merry Christmas. And Crooked Joe puts China first. He puts Asia first, Ukraine first, illegal aliens first, environmental lunatics first. He puts everyone first. He, does, he doesn't put me first. He indicts his political opponent because he's doing so badly. We're beating him by 11, 12, 14 points. Seven, I saw a poll, 17 points. We're beating him by so much. So he said, what do we do? Let's indict him. He puts America last. He puts Iowa last. Well, he left Iowa. He left for another state. He left. You don't have that anymore, right? For years you had it. You don't have it. He left Iowa. He puts our workers last. He puts our farmers last. He puts everything that's good last. I put Iowa first. I put America first. Every single time I do it, it's a real easy one for me to say. And that was Donald Trump out on the campaign trail earlier this week. He did a rare midweek event in Coralville, Iowa and spoke before a commit to caucus event and all the event goers there. So here's the thing. I was listening to a little oppo research yesterday, Noah, mm -hmm. your favorite podcast outside mm -hmm. of ours. Rizless? Yeah, how's that going? 
Well, apparently somebody listens because here's the deal. We had shit on them so bad over the course of the last <laughs> month or so for their winners of the week segment where they would talk about some of the fake candidates in the fake primary. Are they, they going to have Hunter on that? Oh, no, no, wieners of the week, sorry. Yeah, that too. I, I, you know what? They'd probably take Hunter Biden if you wanted to. And they they would award winner of the week to people like Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, even Chris Christie at some times. I believe once even Mike Pence. And, you know. This honorable mention from eating the most at Golden Corral for Chris here. It seems like a pretty simple equation, right? And all they would do was talk about how, oh, it's so hard for all these candidates to do anything with the, the elephant in the room that is Donald Trump up by like 30, 40, 50, 60. Now, in some cases, 70 points in primary forecast polls. So what they said was they're no longer doing winner of the week in regards to the primary because of its uh, proximity to the actual date of the Iowa caucus. And now they would just be awarding like winners of the week in general. And this is just an arbitrary, like we're just making this up as we go. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, essentially Donald Trump's winning every week anyways because yeah. he's the only one actually winning. So that was like a, a shortest segment. Did you get a chance to listen to it yet? Nah. You have to. Mm -mm. They would then go on for 20 minutes to resort back to where they were at about two months ago before Donald Trump really took off in the polls. And that was disenfranchising him for the general election. And they talked about a lot of infactual stuff, alternate realities, and just a message that kind of listens up to their... They got into the multiverse? <laughs> yeah. Just a message that kind of measures up to their listenership, which I'm, I'm understanding now. It, they're a Never Trump podcast. I think there's one guy who supports Donald Trump on there, and then they all reference back to you know how there were some positives of trump era policies, but when you talk about bad high, this, that, and the other thing... So what they did was they cited this poll as like the centerpiece of their argument that Donald Trump is such a horrible general election candidate and even somebody like, you know, 5% Ron DeSantis or 7% Nikki Haley would be a much more viable contender against Joe Biden. And I'm listening to them talk about this and I'm like, where the fuck did they find? And the good thing about your phone listens to everything now, the next time I uh, logged into Twitter... Uh, something from political polls came up, and here it is. This is this is the basis that they used on. The argument was, would you vote for Donald Trump for president in 2024 if he is or has been convicted of a felony crime by a jury? This poll said 4,411 adults, not legal voters, not registered voters, not tons of crosstabs here, they did have some age demographics. You kind of need some crosstabs for this stuff, though. 25 to 59. So 25% would vote for Donald Trump. Independence. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, if that happens, it's over. And then they went into joking about Donald Trump's rise to prominence in the African-American community. Always cited where I start at that Donald Trump got 8% of the African-American vote mm -hmm. in 2020. And that a lot of people are saying that he's in the 20s and nearing 30%, which I think is not true. I think that, you know, if, if Election Day was tomorrow, I think Donald Trump would probably get as close to 20% of the African-American vote as a Republican candidate has ever gotten. Yeah. But outside of that, I, don't, I, I would be shocked. I would be happy. But I'm not going to go out there saying that Donald Trump's getting 30% of the African-American vote. Historically, it just doesn't match up. I don't care how bad the country is. You know, we had drug epidemic in the 90s. We've had crime waves in the 70s and 80s. You know, the, the mafia used to have a footing in every major city in America. And... That demographic of voter always went out and voted the same way, blue, no matter who. 
And and that's just kind of where we're at. And that's just the dumbest fucking like I'm not voting Republican no matter who. Yep. That, that's not how critical thinkers work. And not only did this 25 to 59% margin kind of raise my eyebrows a little bit, but I saw out of the total only 1600 out of the, the nearly 4500 were Republicans. So over 2000 were Democrats. And even though this was a poll that was aimed at independents, there was less than 500 independents who were actually polled. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to look at inside the numbers. And I just don't think that these guys have any interest in number one, telling the truth. And number two, giving a shit what happens. It sounds like they're all so well and taken care of. It doesn't matter who's the president. They just doesn't bother them. They're always going to have jobs. They're always going to have opportunities. Again, Megyn Kelly's always going to be there to change their diapers. And I just thought it was really poor form. I thought where we might have been breaking through as I started to listen to the top of their show and they're ditching winner of the week because that's an absolute fucking retarded way to think that anybody besides Donald Trump in the Republican primary was the winner of the week ever. You know, you had um, them go and try to say he's a horrible candidate against Joe Biden. What, what happens to the Republican Party if Donald Trump loses to Joe Biden again? It's over. America first is over. And I'm just like, man, these guys are, must be getting... Living large off those Mitch McConnell bucks and, mm. and free publicity they get from other podcasters, etc. So, but getting back to this event, and this is ahead of Donald Trump's, he's got like a faith and freedom event this weekend that he's got lined up in Iowa before he heads out to New Hampshire next week. And he'll be flagged by former HUD secretary and rising stock in the VP sweepstakes, Ben Carson, along the road this weekend. So... Getting back into Donald Trump here, he was obviously hitting all the points, talking about how much Joe Biden loves every country except America, and talked about the polls, and then talked about the job that Joe Biden does, which we know is he does what he's told when he's told. Besides that, everybody does the job for him. Let's check it out. You got to go and vote. We got to knock the one off and then we worry about November and we're going to win. We're way up on this guy. It's uh, just incredible that he can frankly be even running anything. I can't he can't put two sentences together. He's running. Can't find his way off the stage. See all the stairs around here. How the hell do you not? Where is the stair? He says, where is the stair to show you how evil the press is? I did this routine where I stumbled and mumbled purposely imitating him and they put it on. They said, he's cognitively impaired. Then, <laughs> then I walked back. I'm, I'm looking and I walk, uh, what? Where? Where? And he walks off the stage and he's like. said it was me i couldn't find so i can't use sarcasm because they're very dishonest people you know sarcasm is a disaster every time i use sarcasm like that they say i couldn't find my way off the stage i got stairs all over and if you want it's only about three and a half feet i could jump off the front but this guy can't find his way so sarcasm is a very dangerous thing with it with a dishonest person. and that's the truth you know it's funny that the wall street journal pointed out that donald trump they alluded to his mental and physical decline stemming off a segment of his speaking event where he was mocking Joe Biden getting lost on stage and handshaking air. What do you think about that, Noah? That's just kind of like the uh, lowest of hanging fruits when it comes to the media. Yeah, it's, I mean, two plus two is always four with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. 
That's racist. I sent you the clip last night. I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> you know, there was a big ruling in the Michigan Appeals Court that just came down late last night or early this morning. It's Friday here on the West Coast. And uh, Donald Trump will be on the ballot no matter what. An appeals court has ruled. Is he is he looking at potential danger of getting removed from any ballots still or no? No, because I, I think if that was ever the case, this would be swiftly taken up by the Supreme Court, which... yeah. We're going to touch on it in our next news segment. Well, and who knows what would happen? I mean, that would drive the the country into chaos. Like people would be revolting. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it basically would mean that we we don't have there's there is no election if the the popular candidate's not on the ballot. Yeah, you you would see some things that you haven't seen in this country in a while. Yeah, over 150 years. You know, Donald Trump has always been an ardent supporter of law enforcement. Um, regardless of the way, even now so, that it's been weaponized against him. He still stands strong. I think one of the biggest things that always brings a smile to my face is when the Trump caravan returns to the airport after an event, he always makes sure whatever law enforcement agency is providing security for him to and from speaking events in the airport, he always takes awesome pictures, either individually with all of them and then a big group one that Dan Scavino always puts out on his social medias as well. Donald Trump adding things along the way to Agenda 47 in regards to back in the blue, supporting law enforcement and making America safe again. I definitely like this part of the speaking event. Heard it for the first time. Let's check it out. And something very, very important to me because I've seen crime go to levels that nobody can even imagine over the last few years in the cities in particular. I am going to indemnify through the federal government all police officers and law enforcement officials throughout the United States for being destroyed by the radical left for taking strong actions on crime. They're afraid to do anything. They're forced to avoid any conflict. They're forced to let a lot of bad people do what they want to do because they're under a threat of losing their pension, losing their house, losing their families. They're afraid to do anything. They're incredible people. Among our greatest people, law enforcement, policemen, and women, they get, uh, they lose their pensions, they lose their families, they lose their house, they end up on the street. We are going to indemnify them against any and all liability. You got that, Noah. Mm. And we're going to stop crime in our cities. That is generally something a governor will do or a mayor will do. But we have to step in. I thought that was absolutely huge. Yeah, that's ginormous. And uh, when you look at some of the stuff that's going on right now, I, I saw come across my Twitter feed not too long ago. One of the major cities, it's like the second or third day in a row that these Palestinian ceasefire jerk-offs are like blocking a bridge. It's Friday. People are like either going or coming from work or getting out of the city. And the police have, you know, let them do whatever the fuck they want. They throw stuff off the bridge over the overpass to block the roads. They sit in the middle of the street and hang banners over the bridge. And now I see the police starting to get a little bit, you know, coming up with the batons and being like, you have two choices right now. You're going to unblock the road or you're going to get detained and go to prison. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we have to start taking a strong – and he's right. We talked to so many people who are involved in law enforcement, both ones who, you know, used to be at the federal level. Let's just say they worked in DHS or, you know, so many former FBI agents have come on the show and talk with us. We've we've talked to people like Bernard Carrick, Tom Homan, all these people. And they say these people have, you know, the, the men and women who are supposed to be protecting this country, whether it's in the streets or on the border, their hands are tied. They can do nothing. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, seeing the president step in with an executive order of that magnitude uh, that we would hope gets through Congress as well. You know, he takes the first step and then they meet in the middle somewhere and get it through Congress where these people were protected because ever since the summer of love, this country has been spiraling down into a world of shit and it's not getting any better anytime soon. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following the Steak for Breakfast podcast. What that means is you hit the follow button or the little plus, and make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out big time. Algorithms, massaged, suggestions, were present. And then in the Apple Top 100, where your voice is amplified by the narrative that we're proprieting here on the show. In addition, we've got social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, hit the notification bell, and never miss out on anything, including our great guest lineups here on the show. We're going to be sitting down with U.S. Senate candidate, the man who's looking to replace the soon-to-be-retired Mitt Mittens Pierre Delecto Romney. <laughs> Mayor Trent Staggs will be back today with a campaign update. Talking about all the great things in Iowa, while in Iowa, you know nobody did more for farmers than President Trump. He talks about how what happens in the, in the Midwest, in the Rust Belt, etc., is what both literally and figuratively, fuels this country, both with crops and with, you know, just American resolved, getting back to the basics and doing things the right way. Let's check it out as Donald Trump gave, paid a little homage to the great people of Iowa. Iowa City, from Fort Dodge to Cedar Rapids and from Des Moines to Davenport, we stand on the shoulders of generations of Iowa patriots who gave everything they had for our country and for our freedom. Credible people, incredible, brave, strong people. This great state was founded by tough frontiermen, strong pioneer women who defied the dangers to carve out a life for a great family, beautiful home and family. They tamed the wilderness, they braved the elements, they tilled the soil, they worked the fields, they built the factories, and they poured out their blood, sweat, and tears to make this country into the greatest nation in the history of the world. And, you know, there's a lot that goes to what he's saying there. You know, when you talk about what happened when Joe Biden took control of the White House back in 2021, you're talking about the re-regulations, the push for EV, the wanting to crush carbon emissions, the amount of money it costs for just fertilizer and feed for your livestock. And then how the supply chain was fucked up for the first year and a half of the Biden administration. The agriculture community in this country as a whole has been absolutely destroyed. And when you talk about all the regulations that Joe Biden has from produce and things of that nature that are coming in from Canada and Mexico, it doesn't make it any cheaper. So who's getting hit the hardest besides farmers? It's the American consumer. And Donald Trump understands that this country was built on a strong infrastructure, and that is what he wants to tell the Iowa farmers that we'll be getting back to. Again, just remember the $28 billion he got from China. I mean, we had farmers in, in Iowa sending rice to China during, <laughs> during the pandemic. You, you he literally to... sold rice to China. Like, yeah. like People made that joke, and it actually happened. Certainly did. And, and what else can you say for you know those Trump trade policies at the behest of people like Peter Navarro, et cetera? And we're not being sarcastic with it. Like Noah alluded to, it's the truth. And that goes without saying, you know, Donald Trump, who always wants to use things like sarcasm and jokes along the campaign trail, didn't just do it in a sense where he's hitting on his political opponents who currently reside in the White House. He's always going to take the time to take pot shots at those who are running against him in the fake Republican primary. 
We heard what he said about Ron DeSantis at the New York Young Republican Club Gala last Saturday. He would continue to talk about, (laughs) this time, poll numbers when he's talking about the soon-to-be former Florida governor. Let's hear it. It's meant nothing. People are wise to this stuff, you know? They're really wise to this stuff. The sanctimonious has been saying for the past six months, wait for the bounce. You know, he's waiting for the bounce. (laughs) The bounce is going that way. It's going the wrong direction. Now, Noah, I want to ask you a question. One of the biggest things you see on social media, I know you see it as well. It's like, wait till Ron DeSantis announces. Wait till Ron DeSantis sets up his ground game. Wait till Ron DeSantis hits all 99 counties. Wait till Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds endorses Ron DeSantis. Wait till Ron DeSantis gets the Bob Vanderplatz endorsement. And it just goes on forever and ever. As Donald Trump just said, and it is now the case, Ron DeSantis now sits in third place in a lot of polls. He's tied with Nikki Haley in Iowa, as we're going to touch on in just a second. But to see the way that these people have tried to promote a fantasy, which is essentially what it is. There's no other way to there's no other way to describe it other than fantasy. Yeah. And, and do you think this is going to go down as the biggest embarrassment in the history of politics? Do you think like. Let me put it to you this way. Do you think, like, sociology teachers, professors at the college level will go back and, and like, on one screen have the poll numbers and on another screen just have YouTube videos that are montages of Ron DeSantis being force-fed to the American public for, like, the last 10 months and to watch his poll numbers go down the more he's pushed into the face of the American public? Jeez. I mean, I would hope so, that that they're going to have to use this time period as an example of what not to do forever. But I mean, who knows? And, and Depends how, on who's teaching, how real misinformation can, can like I always allude to, it creates a false reality. The campaign just announced as part of their events that's happening this weekend, which is going to be a faith driven one, Texas Congressman Wesley Hunt and former New York gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin will be joining Dr. Ben Carson as well with Donald Trump on the campaign trail. So I wanted to drop that little bit of information in there. Do have to look at some poll numbers. We always like to see the numbers here on Steak for Breakfast. I mean, I don't know if this point it's even worth covering anything to do with the Republican primary, but I did see a head-to-head matchup poll with Joe Biden this morning, and I'm going to read it for you right now. 1,500 legal voters. It was done on December 8th. Margin of error is a little over 2.5%. And this is from Redfield and WiltonStrategies.com. Believe it or not, a poll that was paid for by Joe Biden for a re-election campaign. Mm. Donald Trump, 43%. Joe Biden, 38%. RFK Jr., 9 This is the largest lead that Donald Trump has ever recorded over Joe Biden, which ties the number that was set back in November of 2022 before he announced. What do you think, Noah? No lies detected? Nah, I think that's uh, probably pretty accurate. There's also that swing state poll that keeps coming out showing like Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, etc., Donald Trump started out being up by four. A week later, he was up in five of the states. This is the first time also this poll came out this morning. Donald Trump is ahead of Joe Biden, still within the margin of error in a couple places in all seven states now. All right, we're getting ready to wrap and jump in with Mayor Staggs, but I do have one more clip. Of course, it's the closeout, the best part of Donald Trump's rallies and speaking events. Let's hear it. Never before and under our leadership. The great silent majority is rising like never before, and under our leadership, the forgotten men and women will be forgotten no longer. 
We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. We will make America great again. We will love our country. We will take care of our country. We will pray to God for strength and for liberty. We will pray for God and we will be with God. Iowa, thank you very much. This was a great honor. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. God bless you all. What do you think, Noah? I like it. You know, what's that movie with Matthew McConaughey where he like time travels and like looks at himself doing something and starts like yelling that he? Oh yeah, he's like pushing the book through the bookshelf. Is uh, that Interstellar? Y- yes, I believe it is. You know what? Honestly, <laughs> it's gonna be the guys from the Ruthless Podcast when Donald Trump. I, I swear, I will pay one of the meme makers on the Dilly Meme Team. <laughs> they'll they'll be like looking at. Like, Donald Trump getting sworn in on the Bible. And then they'll be like micro, uh, micro sized in the corner of their podcast studio, like trying to knock over a mic cord or something. <laughs> Unplug the microphone. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to make the meme January 21st, uh, 2025. It's, it's sad. Hey, no, did you hear about the Dilly meme team? What about them? Huge hit piece. in the New York times came out about them this week. Really? Yeah. Been, like what kind of hit piece? Well, calling them everything from, uh, well, docs. Let me guess racist. That, too, even though there has never been one piece of racist material in any Dilly Meme Team memes. However, they did say they were extremely sexist, which we all know they are. I mean, yeah. you, you take the entire surprise, yeah, bunch of slurs that work for the Ronda Sanchez <laughs> campaign, and every time they take a group picture, you make the knees red. It's fucking funny. It's not sexist. And then, you know, you, you listen to some of the other stuff that they said. Um, it's just like weird stuff. Like, Brendan's had... LLC set up for years since his book came out to deal with his like self-help business that he has and, and some other stuff. And now they're saying like this team is ready, willing and able to get paid by the Trump campaign and they get like insider material and exclusive video. None of the stuff is true. Mm-mm. All the memes they make, I would say an overwhelming majority of the stuff comes from the team Trump or the Trump war room or the Dan Scavino accounts. All of the people on their team are so gifted and talented at making the memes. And then you have people that like put it all out there. Miguel Fornia, Leah Memes, Lauren Eve, they go out there and they sing over these songs. And some of the videos are, are funny when it comes to like shitting on the DeSantis campaign, but some of the videos about Love in America are really touching. Mm-hmm. You know, they have some of the most talented, I would just call them artists in the game. And listen, for whatever the New York Times tried to do, they failed resoundingly. And for as much money as these guys did to save the Trump campaign and absolutely destroying a political candidate in Ron DeSantis, before they decide to move on to the other one, what, whether it's going to be Nikki Haley or Joe Biden next, that's that's for Brendan and his team to decide. 
But the fact of the matter is, I guess you know you're over the target when you have apparatuses mm. as big as the New York Times writing shit pieces about you. And this thing looked like it was done by a complete fucking retard. It's like they're talking about the memes. They're talking about the Trump campaign, the close relationship they had. And they're like, you know, Brendan Dilley, who uh, had some child support issues back in like, you know, 10 years ago. And I'm like, who fucking cares? Why is it even in there? And then they dock CP3 meme. Really? Yeah. They doxed him? Yeah, full name out there and stuff like that. I mean, he's, he put out a meme that said, like, this is a shitty way to get doxed, but here's me crapping on the New York Times and, like, threw one out there as well. So, you know, thoughts and prayers over to them and all their teams for the amazing work that they do and the memes that they bring that have helped President Trump get to his, essentially, dominance over this entire field. And it's starting to look strong every day against Joe Biden. As we're getting ready to cut here and jump in with Mayor Staggs, we're pretty excited to hear from him. Before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the current Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in Utah. He's also the mayor of Riverton in the great state as well. Welcome to me back to the show, Mayor Trent Staggs. Thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you again. Well, we talked to you not too long ago. It was, it was you know, a couple months right after you'd got the campaign out and rolling. There's been some developments in the race over the course of the last few months as well, and that was coming with what we saw as a surprise, the retirement announcement of current senator from Utah, Mitt Mittens, Pierre Delecto, Romney. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to say it, it's been a while since he's made his announcement and he's getting ready to finish out, you know, his time up on Capitol Hill. But when, when you heard the announcement, you know, we kind of looked at it as Mitt Romney might see the writing on the wall. There's a, a very big potential chance that Donald Trump is going to be the president again in 2025. However, at the end of the day, I, I'm kind of in the delegation of thinking that Mitt Romney didn't want to incur another loss, especially in the Republican primary there. And, and you've come out of the gate so strong, Mr. Mayor. We think that that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're right. Um, it didn't come as a surprise to me. I've had several ask me if I was surprised with that announcement of his not to seek re-election. And uh, when we came out and I first announced in May, I think Mitt was around 50% in terms of favorability amongst Republican primary voters or Republican voters. And when we got out and we reminded people, we reminded them of the fact that, hey, he made these promises five years ago to put us on a balanced budget to end illegal immigration, to stop federal spending and overreach, and to confirm conservative justices to the, to the court. And that his record has been the complete opposite of those promises. You know, in our launch video that we got a million views and doing all this great media like we're doing here, and then getting out on the trail and doing no fewer than 50 town halls, I think, across the state now, and reminding those folks his polling went from about 50% down to 30% favorability um, and I think that was even generous because I heard so many people out there in this, in our great state that said, Hey, fool me once shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And so we, uh, we have folks here in the state that are hungry 
hungry for an America first candidate and somebody who has demonstrated the resolve and the backbone to take on the establishment and not just go be part of it. And that is what typifies my 10 years in elected office and the way in which I've run this campaign, the only one that's been willing to take on Mitt Romney. And I think that's a big part of the there there. You talked about getting out and reminding the constituents throughout the states, doing that you know, huge amount of town halls. You know, it's always fine to say on the campaign trail, and I'm talking from maybe Mitt Romney's standpoint there, that you're a Republican, you're going to go up to Congress and hold up to Republican values. But when, when, like you said, you see the voting record and the things that he sided with Mitch McConnell, who was in turn siding with Chuck Schumer on to pass parts of the Joe Biden legislation or those that are, you know, openly against America first. At some point, the people after the last three years are feeling in all aspects now. The open border has affected a lot of stuff in Utah. We've had some great border correspondence on that says, you know, Salt Lake City is getting migrants dumped all over the place out there. Obviously, the jobs market, the dollar and its value, you know, top to bottom, you, you want to look at all the problems in this country right now. They all go back to what's happening in Congress and giving Joe Biden, you know, the clean slate to uh, pass his legislation along. And I think people are starting to understand that, you know, there is an alternative to just being Republican. And when you say America first, you better be backing up when you get on the Capitol Hill. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, this this administration started delineating all the woes that the American public are suffering as a result of this very incompetent and just horrible Biden administration. We have that uh, to a large, uh, a large degree because of Mitt Romney and people like him, you know, people needed to be reminded of the fact too that he's voted with the biden administration 60 percent or more of the time that he encouraged joe biden to run for president and for crying out loud just recently he said too that he would vote for biden over trump <laughs> yeah. i mean what world what world are you living in mitt i mean honestly you're not there with utahs you, you're not i mean i, I talked to utahs the average utah family is now paying a thousand dollars more a month because of bidenomics and all the inflation that's come as a result of the excessive spending that Mitt voted for and the Biden administration wanted to put forward. So, yeah, we definitely need people that are going to go there and represent uh, represent all of us Ameri and put America first. No, it's it's the truth. You know, and, and when you talk about stuff that's getting voted on just as recently as yesterday, you saw the NDAA pass up on Capitol Hill. It got through the Senate with only, I believe, 13 or 14 Republicans opposing it. And, and you know, when you talk about padding those numbers, you have people like Rick Scott and, and Josh Hawley and those who say this is a bad thing, obviously, Senator Mike Lee. And, and, and you talk about just the logistics of it, it's like you're writing a clean slate for the Biden administration to do everything that, you know, so many people that go on the news from the same Senate and complain about. Then at the same time, when you look at the favorable map that Republicans have in the upcoming Senate races in the 2024 election cycle, it looks like we might have some people who are, number one, really going to push back on Mitch McConnell, and number two, actually be representing America first when you get up there. Yeah, and I got to tell you, that's what I'm most excited about. I've been asked, you've got and I was I was doing an event with Kerry Lake just this past weekend. Uh, you've got Kerry Lake, you've got Bernie Marino, you've got um, you know a whole slate. Jim Banks, you've got a whole slate of candidates right now for Senate that can add to that group that you just mentioned, like Mike Lee and like Rick Scott and Ron Johnson or Rand Paul. These guys that uh, that that number, I think we can cross 10, 12, whatever it may be, America first, true America first senators, you actually have enough there. You've got enough that you've reached critical mass, I think, so you can effectuate the change that we so desperately need in this country. And yeah, what a what a shame to have the, the NDAA pass the way that it did, 
and Senator Lee, what a champion he was of calling out 702 FISA and the fact that that was extended, even though we have hundreds of thousands of examples of warrantless spying on Americans, not foreigners, right. but on Americans. That's totally unconstitutional. It's against the Fourth Amendment. And then, you know, the fact that sent the Senate that's supposed to oversee these guys can't even Mike Lee pointed this out. They don't even have access to what these enhanced protocols are. And they just keep saying, trust us, trust us. And uh, what a joke. I mean, we need folks that are going to stand up there and stand up for Americans and ensure that uh, not their, their Fourth Amendment protections are protected and that the budget is brought back into uh, into, you know, some level of sanity. Oh, it's the case right there. And, you know, it's funny. Senator Lee did like a master class up on Capitol Hill. And when they run out of excuses for not knowing what's in Section 702 or the things that they're funding in the NDAA, they all leave the chamber and then go to the news and say, oh, people like Mike Lee, they don't want to fund the military. That's why they don't want to vote on this. And that could not be anything close to the case. It's obviously the furthest thing from it. And like you yeah. just pointed out, it's like these people don't take the time and they've all got really young staff up there who don't take the time either. And they don't care because if it's if it's not something that's going to be a closed vote, they know at the end of the day, it's just a lot of grandstanding. And by padding the numbers on the Republican side of the Senate next year and winning back the power there, that's what we're looking to obviously avoid. Mr. Mayor, last thing I want to touch with you on, there's a lot of people shutting it down for the holiday season. However, you're not going to be. You've got a lot of campaign events stacked up all through the holidays. I think most importantly, you're going to be at AmFest this week. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Yeah, no, really excited for that. You know, Turning Point came out early, uh, Turning Point Action, and endorsed my candidacy. I think I was the first Senate candidate that they endorsed. I was honored to have that. Uh, Charlie Kirk, you know, we're not we're not too far from Arizona here in Utah, so we flew down right after the 4th of July, had a great interview. Um, Charlie's been fantastic. His organization, I'm telling you, is something else. And this is going to be uh, incredible. There's going to be 10-plus thousand people there at AmFest, AmFest and uh, just – the the way they've been able to move the the dial with respect to restoring conservative values, especially amongst the youth, that 18 to 34 demographic. I mean, they pointed out, Charlie did this past weekend, that now there is a higher percentage of 18 to 34 year old males that are conservative. That We have the highest number of, of people claiming they're conservative in that cohort uh, than there's been in 50 years. And so their work on college campuses and in high schools, I think, is really moving the ball and getting people really changing hearts and minds, if you will, so that we can grow conservatism across across the country. And so I'm really grateful for the work that they're doing and, and want to be able to support it as best I can. No, we're really excited for you to get out to a big event by that. You know, get to introduce yourself to a more national audience. And, uh, you know, just like the same thing with your campaign, Mr. Mayor, anytime you want to come and, and talk about it on the show, you're more than welcome here. We're obviously going to be live linking your campaign website in the show description today. But for anybody that wants to check you out and, of course, contribute, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. TrentStags.com. Uh, it's S-T-A-G-G-S, TrentStags.com. You can go there, learn more about what we're doing and uh, about uh, my platform and then definitely being able to contribute. And uh, it's been such such an honor to receive contributions from patriots across all 50 states now. You know, we've been able to claim that for months. Uh, and it's been a result of of coming on shows like yours um, and, and just appealing to your great audience and helping us out. So TrentStags.com. I appreciate all of the support. We're going to get this done. And we're going to have an America first Senate and really be able uh, to help President Trump in office here uh, after 2024.
for the first time in a while, they're going to be getting some great and real representation out of the state of Utah. This is the mayor of Riverton and the U.S. Senate candidate in the state of Utah. Mayor Trent Staggs, thanks for coming on the show. Have safe travels this week on your way to AmFest and have a Merry Christmas as well. Thank you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. The glaring issue remains the fact that the Department of Justice allowed these early felonies to expire. The whistleblowers have said they had a deal on the table which would have allowed that statute of limitations to be extended for some inexplicable reason. Mm-hmm. Weiss allowed it to expire. And I got to tell you, I pride myself on being able to share both sides of a legal issue. I can't imagine the rationale for allowing felonies to expire in the middle of an investigation. And maybe she can, because I can't think of one. Hmm. Fair answer. Let's talk about Donald Trump now, because the special counsel, Jack Smith, is trying to fast track this to the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know how the Supremes feel about it. John Yu and his friend John Malcolm, John Yu out of Stanford, writes, uh, the DOJ's latest ploy to get Biden reelected. Uh, number three, guys, get Trump Oof. in the Supreme Court. Oh, there you go. Just want you to answer this in the following way. Did, did, does the court hmm. feel pressure, feel the pressure of time? Because there's a request to get answers in from the Trump team before December 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they feel that, sir? Well, Bill, that's the, the operative question. You know, what comes out of the filing of the special counsel is this sense of urgency that we need to try Trump before the election. The court might not have the same sense of urgency. You know, even if Trump was convicted, it wouldn't affect his eligibility to uh, stand for election or to serve as president. The court normally prefers to have Court of Appeals weigh in on these questions, particularly novel questions like this one. So the court could ultimately say, we want to hear from the D.C. Circuit. We don't want to leapfrog over the process. We'll stick with regular order. And that may mean that you'll have to move that trial back some. I mean, the district court has already uh, stayed further proceedings on the district court. Smith may lose that March trial date. Uh, but he clearly is 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 doggedly fighting uh, to try to get this thing done before the election. And that was Fox News contributor Jonathan Turley, who's number one, no friend of Donald Trump. Mm-mm. Number two, no MAGA Republican either, providing a little commentary first on the Hunter Biden cases, the hypocrisy that went down with uh U.S. Attorney Weiss letting some of these felony statute of limitations expire, as was part of the first sweetheart deal that Hunter Biden was able to get the one that fell apart over the summer. And now jumping into this other stuff, as we're going to be covering a little bit of uh, just what else is going on up in D.C. as the, the nation's capital is getting ready to shut it down for a couple weeks as we uh, exit Hanukkah and enter officially the Christmas season now. You know, the stuff that's going on with Jack Smith, the deranged Jack Smith, who has no good record with the U.S. Supreme Court, he's one of the only major prosecutors who have been overturned by an eight to zero margin by the Supreme court when he sham convicted a uh, former Virginia governor. And then, you know, he's got a lot of other cases that have been overturned at the Supreme court level as well, basically in an attempt to kind of railroad Donald Trump's candidacy and beat him up ahead of the general election has like been trying to force feed stuff for this case up to the Supreme court and say, we have to get a disposition before this guy is elected president. You guys have to review the case. So the Supreme Court, who usually is a little bit more wanting results to be able to weigh in on when they're forming their opinion, said, fine, but it's going to be at a timeline 
of our discretion, not yours, Jack. Convenient. Mm-hmm. They broke the news on MSNBC, which kind of gives a little bit more insight into this. And I wanted to be able to play that clip for you guys. Let's check it out. Yeah, Chutkan of the D.C. court has granted Donald Trump's request for a stay of all proceedings in his D.C. criminal case, writing that Trump's appeal on presidential immunity grounds has forced her hand. All pending deadlines and court dates in that case will be stayed but not vacated. This is about the appeal to the Supreme Court that Donald Trump has presidential immunity. Donald Trump didn't appeal to the Supreme Court, but Jack Smith did. The Supreme Court said, yes, it will consider considering it. It has asked Donald Trump's team to come up (laughs) with a response to Jack Smith by next Wednesday, I believe, December 20th. And now Judge Chuckin is saying until the Supreme Court rules on this, she's going to put everything on hold. She's not vacating it. It's not getting thrown out, but she's going to put everything on hold. Back with us, MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin. Did I get that right? You you're gonna, did. You're like and what I would listen. say about this order, it's a very short opinion in order, Katie. It's three pages long. Is Judge Chutkin is saying that Judge the Chungus. trial is stayed <laughs> and pretrial proceedings like discovery and motion practice are stayed too. As in they're just put on hold. They're put on hold. Nothing that Donald Trump's lawyers would have to do affirmatively is anything that they have to do until the appeal is resolved. However, she is siding with Jack Smith's team on one important issue. And she's saying, look, I don't get divested of jurisdiction over everything. I can still enforce the gag order, enforce a protective o- order over discovery, meaning Trump's team can't release all the discovery they've received from the government into the public domain. She still gets to exert jurisdiction over that. And she's saying that I get to ensure that he meets his conditions of release. You'll remember that when he was first indicted, he agreed to be released with some conditions. Those include not further violating state, local, or federal law, and not contacting like any of the, the witnesses in, in this there. case about their testimony in this case. So to the extent that Donald Trump violates those conditions of release, Jack Smith and his team have every right to go back before Judge Chutkin and let her know. Judge Chungus, she means, and that's retard Jennifer Rubin, who's just an absolute piece of shit. I I won't even start with her. Here's the deal. Everybody knows this is a sham. Everybody knows this is a witch hunt. But everybody knows once you get into the court proceedings, the ruling is the ruling. And and I think we can't not take the importance level of Donald Trump being convicted of a felony in something like, let's just say, this case, which is the January 6th case, okay? Mm -hmm. Jack Smith trying to derangedly force this thing down the Supreme Court's throat completely backfired because Donald Trump's entire argument, the centerpiece of his case and defense is presidential immunity. Now that the Supreme Court has weighed in on it and said they're going to take their sweet-ass fucking time, Judge Chungus has been forced to take this case and put it on the back burner. Now nothing is going to happen in it. Donald Trump's going to write a response to Jack Smith that's due by, like, Wednesday of next week. If I was Donald Trump's legal team, you want to know what I would do? I would get one fucking piece of paper, write presidential immunity on it, and give it to Jack Smith. Yeah. Tell him to go fuck himself. Mm -hmm. There There is high potential that this case does not get cased before the presidential election. At which point, if I'm Donald Trump, you've seen what the weaponized justice system has done to you and your family. I'd walk into the Oval Office in my first order of business before we drill, baby, drill, before we do the whole border wall thing. Before I do my one day as a dictator. 
first order of business, <laughs> write yourself a fucking pardon. Yeah. And, and that's what I would do. You know, it, it's absolutely fucking ridiculous what's going on right now. And, and do you want to know what kind of got this whole thing started, Noah? There is this whole obstruction of an official proceeding, mm-hmm. that 1503C charge that like 700 people who were at January 6th have already been put in prison for. It was the coinciding force from all of these appeals of these regular men and women who are in jail because of this right now, which kind of said like, okay, maybe they might have misused this charge. And this is one of the big things we're trying to charge Donald Trump with. So if the Supreme Court is going to look at all of these January 6th blanket rulings that everybody that like walked into the Capitol, whether they were let in, whether they were invited in, whether they fist bumped with a cop on the way in, now the Supreme Court is looking to potentially overturn this 1503C charge and completely turn on its head one of the angles that Jack Smith was using to get President Trump. Here's the thing. The other special documents case, the special counsel for that one down in Florida, Judge Cannon's watching all of this stuff go on, and you want to know what she said? What? I'm going to do the exact same thing. We're just going to we're gonna put a pin in this, mm-hmm. and we're going to see what happens. Donald Trump got one of the biggest legal breaks and victories ever since this Justice Department came after him right now. When it comes at a time where I'm hearing behind some of the back channels that Joe Biden and Merrick Garland are starting to have a fallout over mm. the stuff that's going on with Hunter Biden. Remember, one of the things that Hunter Biden hasn't been charged with yet, but everybody in the Republican House wants to bring up is the FARA violations that, yes, he used his dad's name to benefit himself and his family, but at the end of the day, he never registered as a foreign agent. He's still not registered as one. That could bring some major charges, and he could look at some potential big-time jail time on that one. So I guess we're just going to have to see what happens. And, and back to the to the Trump stuff where everybody's like lobbying these charges against him and stuff like that. It's all fine and good for people to put these charges up and run it through the media and say that Donald Trump is being charged with bullshit and whatever, what have you. But when you actually get down to the point where you're actually going to be following through with it, a lot of these people, they're not going to want to do it because of the precedent it sets. Yeah, it certainly does. And, and when you look at potentially what could be going down for Joe Biden... Who wants to throw, after he leaves office, his nearly 83-year-old ass in jail if he's convicted of these crimes? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to say, oh, well, Joe Biden's old, so he's on house. Donald Trump's five years younger than him. You can put Donald Trump on house arrest. Can that house arrest be the White House arrest? The White House arrest? And maybe give Joe Biden time stumbled? No, it's the truth. Before we segue and, and get out of this week here on Steak for Breakfast, I saw Julie Kelly was on the larger apparatus yesterday giving a rundown. She's the best in the business. Let's hear her. Essentially, for two reasons, the March 4th trial date is gone. Uh, Number one is the Supreme Court agreeing this morning to take up this 1512C2 count. This is the felony charge that DOJ has weaponized, bastardized, flagrantly misinterpreted the language and applied this to more than 320 January 6th defendants. It also represents half of Jack Smith's four-count indictment against Donald Trump. He charged him not only with the 1512C obstruction of an official uh, uh, official proceeding, but also conspiracy to commit obstruction of an official proceeding. So that really threw a big monkey wrench into Jack Smith's plans to date. We were sort of waiting for that to happen on Monday. The Supreme Court announced it today. Look, there is no 
argument that the DOJ has misinterpreted that statute intentionally and finally are going to get caught for doing so. Not only DOJ, Steve, 15 district court judges in Washington who knew that this statute was being misapplied, was being used against how it was originally intended to be, which this is the post-Enron Arthur Anderson scandal that dealt with tampering or destruction of evidence. Fifteen judges have allowed this. Only one, Carl Nichols, a Trump appointee, um, dismissed this count against three defendants. The delicious irony here, Steve, Mm, is that the DOJ is the one who appealed Judge Nichols's dismissal of these counts. That's what finally got it to the department, to us, SCOTUS. So let's just enjoy that as well. The DOJ, in their arrogance, instead of letting three defendants off the hook on this count, appealed Judge Nichols, and that's how it got to the Supreme Court. So not only is that a real problem for Jack Smith, but then compounded by Judge Chutkin today finally admitting that automatic uh, appeal based on immunity claims, and this is Donald Trump appealing Judge Chutkin's ruling that uh, presidential immunity does not apply to criminal prosecution. That Don- mm, Yeah. And for the record, I understand that I got my 1512C confused at my 1503C. I was citing conspiracy, but it was the official uh, impedance of a proceeding that I was meaning to reference, which is the 1512C just prior to that. I don't want you guys to don't think I have him know what I'm talking about, but I have it written down on the pad. Julie Kelly, who's more of the expert than I am, clarified it, and that's why I pulled that clip for the show. But here's the thing. So you heard what she said, Noah. Hundreds of people go to jail for mm-hmm. this impeding an official proceeding charge, yep. which is being misinterpreted in the justice system, all as a part to get Donald Trump because every judge in the D.C. Circuit knew that Jack Smith used it and was trying to apply it to Donald Trump. So if you have hundreds of convictions, why wouldn't Donald Trump be convicted as well? well I mean, how do they even use that if they're not going to go and destroy documents and ruin evidence like what the actual charge is meant for. Well, yeah, but I mean like impediment to a public proceeding or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't the fire alarm guy have to get charged with that too? That's another thing. He got a slap on the wrist. Yeah. So you've already set the precedent there that this isn't really that big of a big deal. And these people are so fucking pathological that three people who, who got their case saw before a Trump judge said this is being interpreted the wrong way. Yep. I don't agree with it. They're off. They had to appeal this case to the Supreme Court, at which point they said, you want to know what? There are a lot of people who are sitting in jail for this, but this judge not only get, let them off, but wrote a pretty damn good ruling on it. We need to examine everybody's case now. Yeah. Donald Trump makes it to Super Tuesday now without having to appear in a courtroom. He won't be convicted of anything before Super Tuesday as well, meaning at that point he could have already gotten more than enough delegates to claim the Republican nomination, at which point it makes it a lot harder to throw him in jail. Because then it's not just a political candidate running against Joe Biden. It is the Republican nominee who's going to run head-to-head with Joe Biden in that upcoming election. And I think it sets a new precedent, unlike one we've ever seen before. Guys, last call today, wherever you're listening to the show, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following the podcast. Hit that plus button. Hit that follow. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. And then across social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram, Steak for Breakfast has accounts on all of those platforms. Find us, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Rounding up right here, we're going to touch in one more time on the border. Talked a little bit about it this morning. I saw one of our favorite national treasures, Senator Kennedy, providing some commentary 
on the tie-in between Ukraine and what's going on down along our U.S. southern border and how dangerous Joe Biden's open border policies have been for the United States. Let's check it out. The president sent us a bill. It was to uh, protect America's national security. It, it pertained to the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, uh, the, the Chinese conduct in the Indo-Pacific, and the border, because clearly uh, national security now involves the border. We took the president seriously, and we started debating and fashioning a bill doing with, uh, dealing with all those all four subjects. Now, all of a sudden, uh, President Biden and some of my Democratic friends have said, no, 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 you, you can't talk about the border. For seven weeks, there have been negotiations that have gone nowhere, mm. got nothing done. So here's where we are. The only way the supplemental bill is going to pass is if President Biden stands up in front of God and country in the United States Congress and says, these are the changes I'm willing to make at the border. The border is an open, bleeding wound. 8.4 million people, four Nebraskas, have come into America under his watch. He has let them in. We don't have the slightest idea who they are. It is dangerous. It's a violation of the law. The president is going to have to tell us what he's willing to do to stop it. If he will do that, my guess is, and it's meaningful, it's not just lip service. My guess is the Congress will take up his bill. But until he does that, the Congress is not going to yeah. take up his bill. It sets up a pretty big showdown following the holiday season that we're in right now where there is a much more plausible potential for a government shutdown than there was when you were talking about things to do with the Biden budget and the bending of the knee that Kevin McCarthy did there. That will be whether or not Mike Johnson continues to be the Speaker of the House, in my opinion. And when you talk about people from the Biden administration, I mean, Senator Kennedy alluded to Joe Biden basically saying, like, he has to admit, number one, he fucked up on the border. Number two, this is what we're going to do to change that fuck up. And number three, I promise that the people that are running the show will apply the changes that I'm willing to make before they get any other kind of foreign aid packages moving forward as well. Had to get her in. Before we hit stop today, mm-hmm. Noah's favorite White House press secretary Ugh. was asked about the border yesterday. Think she answered the question? Nope. Check it, let's check it out. Some of these illegal border crossers every day are getting away to parts unknown in the U.S. Does the president think that is a national security risk? Here's what I'll say. Mm. Uh, you... One of the ways that we also have to look at this is what congressional Republicans have refused to do. They have. They refuse to support previous requests from the president. What they've asked to do actually hurts the issue, hurts the problem that we're seeing at the border. They said no to border agents. They've said no to new technology to fight fentanyl. They said no to additional troops. And they voted on eliminating 2,000 customs and border patrol agents. Mm. That is what Republicans have done. The president is asking to do this in a bipartisan way, to find some compromise, to deal with an issue that hasn't existed, existed for decades now. Which is total horseshit, because the reason they said no to all this stuff is because we're not going to hire more people to process aliens. We want to hire more people to do their fucking jobs. So until these people are doing their fucking jobs, 
you can throw as many National Guard troops, you can throw as many Border Patrol agents, you can throw as many Customs agents, whatever. It's just a welcome wagon. It doesn't matter. They're all just going to be sitting there doing paperwork, handing out fruit snacks, and it's it doesn't mean a thing. That's why they said no to that stuff. It's the truth. And, and listen, when you look at every single proposal that's come down from the Democrats, which include things like new technology, new agents to process all the illegals, etc., it's also included hundreds of millions of dollars to expedite this process and invite and incentivize and pay the fucking grossly bloated paychecks of the NGO presidents or whoever the fuck, whatever their structure is. It's the truth of the millions of people who are still coming to this country. Peter Ducey opened that. It was kind of bad audio in the beginning because there was a lot of murmuring. DHS has now put out and is confirming that over a thousand gotaways along the U.S. southern border is the now average that they're incurring every single day. A thousand a day. Yeah. Only takes one terrorist to detonate a bomb or to walk into a mall and light it up with a gun, you know, kill a whole bunch of families and kids. We're entering the holidays. Listen, there's going to be a lot of celebrating over the course of the next couple of weeks. At some point, we are going to pay the price for Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas's open border policies. Well, they'll still find some way to blame it on Trump. They'll, they'll do that exact same thing where, well, this is the Republicans' fault because they didn't allow us to hire more Border Patrol agents and blah, 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 blah. It's such fucking disingenuous bullshit. Yeah. And I, and I don't think outside of possibly impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas in the new year, I don't think anybody's going to see the concert. It's not like any of the agency head matters. All the ones that Alejandro Mayorkas brought in with them have already quit. No, Mayorkas needs to get tarred and feathered. I want to bring that shit back. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And it goes against the whole process of people who do things the right way, which is where we're going to end. And with our last audio clip of the week here on this big 300th, episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I did see this morning, Noah, we're going to end on a little bit of a wholesome note. Mm. The former first lady, okay, Melania Trump, yep. was down at CIS headquarters this morning and gave a speech welcoming in everyone who was obtaining legally their U.S. citizenship. I like it. I did pull a little piece of the audio clip as we uh, get ready to cut it right here. Let's hear the first lady. Becoming an American citizen comes with responsibility. It means actively participating in the democratic process and guarding our freedom. Mm -hmm. It also means leading by example and contributing to our society. It is a life-altering experience that takes time, determination, and sometimes even tremendous strength. I think it goes without saying. For the very few times that she's made public appearances since Donald Trump has left office, she's absolutely a show stealer whenever she does. Yeah. And it was awesome that the Trump appointed person who was in charge of this event invited her down. And she talked about how the incentive of becoming an American, not an American citizen, but being an American is what pushed her to follow that dream and go into the process to become a citizen the right way. It was just everything that we embody here and all the wholesome goodness. A lot of the things. I mean, Noah, would you would you look at the difference between the White House Christmas videos? That's, uh, oh, my God. Those are the fucking cringiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It hurt to watch. So when it first came out, I showed it to my son. You know what it looked like to me? You know those videos they make where they... It's nightmare fuel. No, but they do like... Uh, let's say it's a, a music video like... The 
What, who, who does the All I Want for Christmas that's fucking in every mall right now? Mariah Carey. Mariah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Can I interrupt you real quick because I got one. I don't want to forget it. Before you go on that point, Mike Collins, I have a picture I'm going to show you. You're going to laugh. He went to the floor yesterday before the, he left with a full-size, like, six-foot-tall Mariah Carey. Ah, her, ah. And it says, All I Want for Christmas is 12 appropriation bills. <laughs> <laughs> He also so, he also won the congressional office decorating contest, which we put out all over our social medias yesterday by nice. a large margin. Go ahead. So basically, the the White House Christmas thing with the people tap dancing, mm-hmm. it reminded me of like when they take the audio off the Mariah Carey uh, music video, and then they just do like, <laughs> and making like the weird noises in the background. Like that's what it sounded like to me. It was just like the most awkward, just. Oh, it hurt to watch, and I watched it for a lot longer than I thought I would have. It was like a car accident. I showed it to my son, and we're in the car driving home from his practice, and he's looking at it, and he's quiet for like 30 seconds. <laughs> this is exactly what he said. Why? No, he goes like this. He goes, why is every single person in this video black? And then I was like, oh, just wait. And he's like, no, they weren't all black. He's like, are those trans people? And, and it was. Yeah. And then you go and look at the company that Joe Biden hired, not only are they one of the biggest socialist Marxist promoters of hate in the country, Mm -hmm. they encourage people who follow them to be donors and active supporters of Black Lives Matter. Still? And Antifa. Like they're still? Yes. And all they do is hire women who are trans or of color other than white. Wait. For their production company. Wait, I don't understand. Women who are That's a double negative. How dare you? Right, which is it? Both. It was gross. Hmm. And f- really, you know, listen, Edward Russell, I guess this is our last audio clip of the week, put an absolute heater. You ready for this one? Yeah. You, you don't have to be able to even, you don't even have to watch it to understand what's going on here. Let's check it out. What the fuck is this piece of shit? <laughs> And he even put the White House logo <laughs> on the end of it. Oh, I couldn't believe it. When you talk about the winter wonderland, and we're going to be heavily Christmas-themed next week. Don't worry. We'll, we'll be pulling out all the stops as we usually do here on the show. Wait, you're talking about when they found cocaine in the White House? No, oh, no. Not that let it snow. <laughs> as wholesome as the Trump White House was. Late tits now. And the absolute bangers of holiday spreads that Melania Trump was able to set up throughout the White House. That was stuff like, you know, <laughs> dreams are made of. This, you know... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's frightening. Yeah, nightmare fuel, and it was like tap dancing the and, nutcracker, and then, and then the 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 weird like engaging smile, like over like weird eye contact. Like it was it was creepy. There's yeah. no other way to describe it. And I don't care if you're into this sort of thing or not. Like it, it you nobody was looking at that going, yeah, that was good. That was well done. That was that was you know that was good. Yeah, I liked it. Listen, all you could do is call balls and strikes as we always do here on Steak for Breakfast. We're going to be, you know, continuing to cover whatever has happened in the news cycle throughout the holiday season. We won't be taking off any dates and we won't be taking off any, I guess, of our interviews because we're all booked up through the new year. Much to Noah's dismay. Yeah, it's fine. We're having a good time here. Make it work. You ever think we'd make it to 300 episodes, Noah? Yeah. I did too. I mean, I thought maybe the doors would have gotten kicked in already, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I know. Everybody else is getting swatted except a cat turd got swatted again next and I, I And I don't want to bring that on us. Don't put don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby, but oof. Here's the thing. I actually think our FBI agents like us. Yeah. 
I mean, we're likable people. That's true. And if you like this edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and now want to hear the other 299 editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Follow the show. Make sure it's downloading. Let's catch a break during this holiday season. Then across social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. You'll thank me later. If you happen to loot a bunch of phones, follow us on those too. Hey, listen, you're going to be around family during the holiday season. No better way to get the great debate going on at the dinner table than giving them a little steak for breakfast. Or a little surprise download when they leave their phone unattended. See what I did there? Mm. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today. Virginia Congressman, Representative Klein, former Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt, show host, one of our great friends and commentator, Mike Crispy. It's been too long for him. I know. And Utah U.S. Senate candidate, Mayor Trent Staggs. You guys definitely all helped make steak great again. Guys, we're heading into the weekend. We're in the throngs of the holiday season, but don't fret. We will be back with an all-new Tuesday edition of the show. We will be blessed by the beautiful Miss Christina Bob. Nice. We'll be sitting down with potential replacement for Kevin McCarthy's house seat, David Giglio, for the first time. We'll take it over to Texas with House candidate Dan O'Shea, and we'll be sitting down with Mr. Government Gangster himself. Nice. Former Chief of Staff of the DOD, Cash Patel, will be here as well. So on behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Ron Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend, and take care. I got the most famous person in the entire planet coming to watch this fight Saturday night. He wouldn't know anything about that. Donald Trump fucking saved America. He put America first. He fucking secured our borders, borders and kept our fucking country safe. You know, he had inflation at an all-time low. He did so many great things for this country. Nothing anything Leon would know about his country. He fucking denied a homecoming type title fight for UK, so he hates his fucking country. I love my country. I love Donald Trump. He's the greatest president in history, and he's going to make America great again in 2024.